Hello everybody and welcome to the Going Up Cast Reviews every single Marvel Cinematic Universe movie. That's right, a couple of weeks ago I made the decision to sit down with uh, my Disney Plus account and other sources to watch the ones that aren't on Disney Plus. And I watched every Marvel Cinematic Universe movie in um, timeline order, according to Disney Plus. I disagree with that order um, at a couple of points, and you'll hear that in this episode. But we essentially go from, you know, phase one all the way through to endgame. Um, actually, all the way to uh, Far From Home, technically. But we, we touch on them all. And uh, I recognize this podcast is enormous. So I don't want to waste too much time here at the start, especially because you're about to hear me intro this podcast basically again uh, as I start talking about the the first movie. Um, but I hope you all enjoy this. Uh, this was an absolute labor of love, um, and now I need to find something else to watch because I've I've watched them all, and um, I need to I need to move on with my life. So I'm probably gonna dip into some old shows that I've been meaning to watch that people keep telling me are good. Anyway, sit back, relax. Fucking stay hydrated. We're going to be here for a while. Why am I doing this? You might be asking. Didn't didn't you get fucking sick of watching animated movies? Yes. Yes, I did. Very much so. To the point where it's now like a problem for me. But goddamn, I love these movies. The Marvel Cinematic Universe, one of the most ambitious episodic movie series ever it is the it's like the big there's like 25 fucking they're amazing they're they're a lot of them are on disney plus except the incredible hulk but we won't talk about that one uh and i decided to rewatch them in timeline order because that's a feature on disney plus and i'm just a fucking chill for disney plus apparently at this point anyway the first one up on the chopping block is captain america the first avenger this movie uh, was part of Phase 1, originally came out in 2011, uh, which means, as of recording this, it's 10 years old. <sighs> okay. Um, Captain America is my favorite. Out of out of all of the original Avengers, I loved Captain America the most. Um, I, I, I love how fucking absolutely jacked he is. Um, I love scenes of his, of his strength. We're never really ever sure what he's truly capable of um because sometimes it'll be like he can open like an elevator door seems to like take him some difficulty doing that one-handed um other times he can fall like 50 stories and land on his shield and get up and run away like it was nothing sometimes he'll throw a shield and it'll ricochet off 50 surfaces and clock this guy in the chin other times he can hold thanos's hand still so, I'm not entirely sure how strong Captain America really is. Um, I, I, I read somewhere that uh, people theorize that his strength is based off, like, his willpower. Um, that, like, as as he grows more assured of himself um, and, his, and his purpose and stuff like that, he grows stronger. And that could also uh, uh, explain why... And like Age of Ultron, he can't lift Thor's hammer, but then in Endgame he does, you know, like that kind of stuff. Um, and that'd be that'd be pretty cool. But that's that's all for later times. Captain America: The First Avenger begins where it all starts, and it is a World War II period piece. 
um, where we see Steve Rogers uh, go from being Skinny Steve, which is the term that they used in a uh, behind-the-scenes production in order to see, uh, digitally reduce uh, Chris Evans down to like a 90-pound skinny kid uh, before he g- turns into Captain America because obviously he needed time in order to get into Captain America shape and they had to digitally reduce him down uh, to become Skinny Steve. And uh, I always loved that that um, digital effect. They did a, a, an amazing job making him smaller um, to where it looks legitimate. So I, I want to give them kudos for that. You see him become Captain America and the death of Stanley Tucci. And over the course of the film, you know, he becomes a hero of the war, defeats uh, Red Skull, and then eventually has to put the uh, the Valkyrie, which is the giant plane carrying like eight nukes or something like that, in the ice in order to save New York City. Um, and then he awakes awakens like 70 years later so he can be a part of Avengers and the modern day scope of the MCU. A couple of interesting characters are introduced in this movie, um, at least in terms of timeline order, they are introduced here. They may have appeared chronologically in terms of movie release and other movies, but we're not going to think about that. We are looking at just the internal timeline of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and doing this in order. So we get introduced to Howard Stark, who's Tony's dad. We get introduced to uh, Agent Peggy Carter, who goes on to become a founding member of S.H.I.E.L.D. with Howard Stark. We get introduced to Steve Rogers, of course. Naturally, we get introduced to Red Skull, um, uh, Dr. Zola, um, who becomes fairly influential later on. Uh, the the presence of Hydra as an enemy. And, uh, I mean, they don't even really mention S.H.I.E.L.D. at all in this show. Um, or in this movie, rather. It is it is not mentioned. The people who are behind S.H.I.E.L.D. are obviously introduced here. But it's, outside of that, nothing much. This is also the first time, if you watch this in chronological timeline order, that you see Nick Fury. And you have no basis for who that is or what he's doing. Um, so that's totally interesting, watching these in, in timeline order. You don't really get a feel for what the fuck that's about. Um, or even if they're like a good fucking dude for all you know captain america could just be in a shit ton of trouble and we also get introduced to the tesseract um which is kind of a fairly important part of the uh the whole fucking to do because there's an infinity stone in there um and that's that's important so this movie sets up quite a bit um and explains uh well i mean if you're watching a timeline or it doesn't explain anything However, later on, as you watch more movies, it does work back into theories and stuff like that. But right out the gate, you're left with a lot of questions and not a lot of answers. So, it's, it's, it's an interesting movie to start on. Really, um, in order for the, the true scope of this stuff to make perfect sense, you essentially need to watch it in chronological order in terms of movie release. Which the timeline order does not deviate too far from. There are three movies that I can think of that are rearranged themselves in timeline order. Captain America, the first Avenger, Captain Marvel come before everything else because they take place earlier on. The only other movie that shifts its presence is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 occurring before Age of Ultron. That's it. Everything else is right in order. It it follows the same fucking... uh, Except for uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp should be seen 
after Infinity Wars, um, as far as I'm concerned, because uh, the very end of Ant-Man and the Wasp kind of ties with the very end of Infinity War, um, because there's there's snap elements in both of those, um, and I feel like in order for that emotional hit to be better, it should be seen after Infinity Wars. Um, plus, you want Ant-Man and the Wasp as a fucking palate cleanser between Infinity War and Endgame. I don't care what happens in terms of timeline. That's how you should watch it in terms of, like, your fucking sanity. So, yeah, outside of that, everything else falls pretty neatly in order. Um, so, there is that. As a movie, I love Captain America the First Avenger. I think it's a great classic story. Um, it's shot really well. The music's a lot of fun. The character Captain America is great. It hits on a lot of really great movie beats. Um, so as a movie, it gets like a pretty solid 7 out of 10. Um, which on my scale is pretty good. A movie has to be damn near perfect to get above that. Um, and it's not perfect. It's not, it's not a flawless movie, but it's still a fun movie and I still very much enjoy it. It's a great action movie. It, it kicks off Captain America's story and it sets up the MCU nicely. Let's move on to the next one. Captain Marvel, uh, is this was the second time I've seen Captain Marvel. I saw it once in theaters in 2019 when it came out, and here I am three years later finally watching it again. Two years later? Whatever. Um, I like this movie a lot. I think I think Captain Marvel is, is a, a phenomenal character. However, this movie cannot be seen second in in the in the canon and that's primarily because of the mid credit scene which takes place after the fucking snap of infinity wars so you're left with a bunch of fucking questions of like who are all of these characters what the fuck's going on you you have no idea you you are left up a creek so the only way to see these movies is order of release it is the only way it makes any sense. You gotta watch it in order of release. You can't watch it in timeline order. It is a complete clusterfuck. That being said, Captain Marvel is still a fantastic movie. Um, she is obscenely powerful. Like, the most powerful, arguably the most powerful member of the Avengers. Um, and that's primarily why she isn't around very often. Kind of like Superman. Once you have Superman around in your story, problems kind of stop being problems. Um, and she is one of a few people in the MCU who can go toe-to-toe with Thanos and win that fight. Um, Scarlet Witch is another. Uh, uh, fucking Thor, I think, can do it. Um, Captain America came fucking close, didn't he? But Captain Marvel can go toe-to-toe, no fucking problem. And she's off doing, you know, other galaxy stuff, protecting the scrolls and stuff like that. And I love that about this movie. The scrolls um, not being bad guys like they were in the original comic books. Uh, I thought that was a, that was a wonderful twist, uh, especially for, you know, diehard Marvel fans who have been watching that shit forever, um, turning the scrolls into like a refugee uh, society of... Uh, really good people so i was a big fan of that change the 90s aesthetic of this movie is pretty well done the the buddy cop feel with nick fury um once again disney toting that de-aging technology uh which really does become their bread and butter 
for for a lot of these movies and not only these movies but like Star Wars as well um and they're kind of creepy creepily good at it and it it upsets me on on many levels um <laughs> but yeah I like I like this one a lot I think again probably probably a six out of ten um and the only reason it gets a six out of ten instead of this I just prefer the Captain America movie uh, to this one. So that's kind of my ranking system. That seems kind of low, but that's kind of where I'm at. It's a very good movie. None of these are bad movies. Objectively, maybe Dark World. Might be like one of the lower ones. But the vast majority of these movies are are good. Um, Like, you're not going to have a, a bad time with any of these films. They're just going to be not as good <laughs> as some of the other ones. Or some of the best ones, you know. But Captain Marvel is is a fun romp. Um, I love when she finally comes into her own with the powers and just absolutely wrecks shop. Um, the only thing I wish that we could have seen in this movie there's a there's a sketch uh, that was done by one of the artists uh, when they were making this movie of what the uh, supreme intelligence uh, true form actually looks like. Um, there was, there was a, there was a sketch of what that was going to be. And it is this fucking enormous, like head with seven eyes and just shit tons of teeth and a bunch of tentacles coming out of its head. Um, cause that's what it looked like in the comics. Um, it's this fucking Lovecraftian monster mash horror thing. Um, why an AI needs a true form though? I don't exactly know that doesn't kick a lot of logical scepters in my in my brain fruits but yeah that's that's a thing um yeah i uh i very very much enjoyed this film and uh would would highly recommend it especially if you like seeing the fucking best strongest fucking mcu hero out there captain marvel just doing what she does best which is kick literal every ass just all those asses she's annihilating them all like a goddamn champion. Hell yeah, Captain Marvel. eight's Iron Man is one of the best MCU movies out there, if not the best. I can certainly see an argument to be made for it being the best, given that it was like the first one, and it really does set the tone for like the whole MCU really well, and it shows the, the growth of Iron Man as a character extremely well throughout the film the multiple different versions of the suit that we see uh throughout the film his growth from being a war profiteering ceo to a uh humanitarian focused uh vigilante i guess is is pretty well done um and much like uh captain america the first avenger this movie sets up quite a few things obviously it sets up the character of iron man it also sets up uh happy who goes on to be in quite a few MC movies uh, themselves. Uh, Gwyneth Paltrow as Pepper Potts gets established. Agent Coulson. This is the first time... Uh, well, not actually. The first time we see Agent Coulson is in uh, Captain Marvel. Uh, so you see him again here. And that's something that does work out timeline-wise that I really appreciate. Um, is that you see Coulson start and then you see Coulson here. Um, and then, of course, there's the Nick Fury thing at the very end of the film. Uh, which kicks off the whole uh like grander universe of the mcu and that scene is what really kind of started the whole thing when iron man came out we all just thought it was a standalone movie and then it teased the sequel 
And that's how you knew there was something bigger going on. And then when Incredible Hulk happened and Tony Stark showed up, then we all kind of went, oh, there's a there's a plan. There's a thing. And then they announced like the Avengers um, movie with Joss Whedon. And then obviously we got Thor and Captain America um, leading up into that movie. And Iron Man 2, actually, as well. That occurs before um, Avengers, I think. Pretty sure that was the original, the original phase one. You also know you did fucking good. Um, actually, you know what? If I type in phase one in Google anymore, it is no longer um, the MCU that pops up. It talks about phase one reopening. Damn. All right. Well, there goes that point. MCU. Uh, phase one of the MCU consisted of... I'm pretty sure I'm right on, on the movies that were in phase one. Yeah. Yeah. Iron Man 2 was in phase one. Um, along with The Incredible Hulk, but whatever. Nobody, nobody, wor- nobody worry about that movie. Um, I love Iron Man. There, there are some things about that movie that I think are fantastic. Things like how they didn't really have a dialogue script. They were more focused on the action sequences and the overall story when they were making this film. So the vast majority of the dialogue set on screen, uh, save for like Jarvis's lines, were um, improv almost the day of. And they were rapidly coming up with like new scenes and different scenes. Waltz was being filmed. Um, which gives the entire movie this very, uh, like, um, how do I want to phrase this? Like, natural vibe. Um, and you wouldn't know that watching the movie, it's so seamless and well put together, and it has such a strong follow-through from A to B that it really does seem like it was very well thought out and very well scripted, and when the reality was the exact opposite. Um, there are, there are, like, if I could change one thing about this movie, it would be the, the only... Casting inconsistency in the entire MCU, and that's Terrence Howard. Regardless of my opinions on his performance, I personally didn't like it. Um, and it, uh, Terrence Howard was the highest paid actor in the film, um, which I think is staggering because he probably had like, if you were to type out his lines, they probably uh, like come out to like two pages or something like that. Um, he does not have a lot to do in this film. And then he later on is replaced by Don Cheadle in the second Iron Man. Pretty much right away. So that that is like the only inconsistency. I mean, obviously, there is the fact that in The Incredible Hulk, Bruce Banner is played by Edward Norton. Um, and then is later recast as uh, Mark Ruffalo. But since nobody ever talks about The Incredible Hulk because it's not available on Disney Plus because it is still technically owned by Universal Pictures of all things um that is why it it, it you, like you just you you'd never see, I don't hear on where can I where can I watch the incredible hulk the incredible hulk 2008 streaming who has it YouTube has it who wants me to pay money for that fuck the incredible hulk movie Although that being said, apparently a couple of characters from that movie are um are coming back in a couple of things. Like uh, Tim Roth's The Abomination, I think he got teased in uh in the She-Hulk legal drama show. So that's gonna be interesting. That's not that Edward Norton did a bad job. It's just Mark Ruffalo is I like him as Bruce Banner a lot more. Um, but changing from Terrence Howard to John Cheadle, um, nobody's really quite sure why that happened. Uh, I think it was because Terrence Howard was going to get a, uh, a massive pay cut for Iron Man 2 and decided against it, or Marvel rescinded the offer. Nobody's really quite sure what happened there. 
Um, but it should be noted that Don Cheadle was actually up for consideration for that character um, before Terrence Howard for the first Iron Man. So it's kind of like it went to the 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 person whose role it was destined to be eventually. It just took a movie to get there. Um, and that's basically it. Like, every other major character maintains for, like, the rest of those fucking movies um, that I can think of off the top of my head. I'm sure I'll come across some character somewhere. Um, I know one of Thor's buddies got recast. Um, like, one of his one of his pals got recast. Like, he was played by somebody and then was later on played by, I think, Josh Dallas, uh, who I best know for being in Once Upon a Time as Prince Charming, but that's beside the point. I always liked Marvel's consistency with their with their actors and um, how they like to stick by them. Um, yeah, and John Favreau, who directed Iron Man and Iron Man Two and Iron Man, not Iron Man Three. That was a uh, Shane Black. John Favreau has been pretty uh, has been a, a, a like a standard presence for the MCU um, and has appeared in or has worked on every Avengers movie. Um, the Spider-Man movies, Iron Man, like he's, he's a big, he's a big deal for the MCU. Um, but I absolutely, I absolutely adore this movie. Plot wise, it's, it's phenomenal. Special effects still hold up. And I want to, I want to pay a uh, note on that side of things that the suits, um, and the suit designs was done by, uh, Stan Winston's company. And Stan Winston is Hollywood, like royalty when it comes to, um, this sort of stuff. It was probably one of the last things he did, which is uh, which is quite sad because he passed away in 2008 um, when this movie came out. But he worked on such films as the Terminator movies, uh, the Jurassic Park films, Aliens, uh, the Predator movies, Inspector Gadget, Iron Man, Edward Scissorhands, as special effects. Um, and they are some of their greatest special effects in, in cinema. Quite frankly, I can still put in Jurassic Park, the first one from 1994, and I'm still blown away with by like how good that fucking movie looks. You can't, you can shake a lot of sticks at Jurassic Park one, but special effects wise, you can't touch it. It fucking changed the game when it came to how things looked, and seeing Stan Winston's designs in Iron Man um, is just fucking phenomenal. And he built like rubber suits for the various stages, and there's actually a giant puppet version of the Iron Monger suit uh, that was puppeted by like five people and was on a gimbal to uh, represent it walking and stuff like that. Even though the movie never refers to it as the Iron Monger suit, but that is what it is. Um, yeah, it's it started the whole thing, kicked everything off basically perfectly. The only thing I would change is having Don Cheadle as Rhodes from the start. I feel like would have um, simply just been the better casting choice. Um that's that's me in my opinion but uh yeah put i mean fucking you can't robert downey jr is tony stark is one of those casting decisions i mean it's it changed his fucking life for sure robert downey jr had many films when he was younger he was he was like a child star um and he was part of like the brat pack he was in weird science he was in a lot of rom-coms when he was younger and then um, he kind of ate ate shit um, and got caught up in a lot of drugs and um, was in prison for a while. 
Um, he, I know he went to rehab, but I think he went to prison. I can't quite remember. Um, he, he kind of had a, a, a comeback, um, with Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, which was directed by, uh, fucking, what's his face? Shane Black, who later went on to direct Iron Man 3, which I think is fun. Um, but it was really, it was really Iron Man that took him up the, the, the trajectory that he is, he's been on ever since. And I mean, he has, um, completely changed his, like his whole career and stuff like that based on Iron Man. And, uh, I know he has a, um, a presence in being fairly, uh, like science minded, um, he's, uh, been a part of a couple of different, like, documentary series about, uh, the future of science and stuff like that, which I think is phenomenal, much like how Chris Evans has a very strong, uh, voice in politics nowadays. Uh, he'll talk to a lot of, like, senators and governors and, uh, congresspeople about different issues, and he has a website where he, you can see Chris Evans talk to people, and I love the fact that Captain America's, like, doing political stuff, and Robert Downey Jr. was doing science stuff, and I believe he funds a lot of different, like, science uh efforts and stuff like that and i think that's fantastic plus he's a pretty decent jazz singer so that's fun too um but i mean john favreau took a lot of heat trying to get uh robert downey jr cast as iron man originally and the reason he pushed so hard was because he felt that robert downey jr's life paralleled so nicely with tony's that it was it was basically like he was he was thoroughbred designed to play this role and he went on to be iron man in 10 movies in the cinematic universe. I believe he stars in more um, cinema, uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe movies than any other actor. Um, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that's right. I could be wrong, but he's an Iron Man. He's an Iron Man 1, 2, and 3. He's in the four Avengers movies, so that's seven right there. He was in Spider-Man Homecoming, which was eight. Um, he appears in Incredible Hulk in a cameo, so that's nine. And what's the last one he shows up in? Oh, um, Civil War. Captain America Civil War. He's, uh, he is there for all of that. So that would be, uh, that'd be 10. There you go. I always thought that Captain America Civil War was really like Avengers 2.5 with just the sheer breadth of the cast. Like having that be a Captain America movie is so weird. It's an Avengers movie. They're all there. Like every major Avenger up until that point makes a presence in that film, except for like Thor and Banner. Um, and that's because they're off in space and doing dumb shit like that. But we'll get there. We'll get there. Iron Man gets a... I mean, 9 out of 10 is kind of what I'm thinking. There, for me, what's really holding it off is the is the inconsistency of the cinematic universe. It was the first film. You can't really expect that of them. Um... But knowing where they, like, go from here and how consistent they were for every other fucking bit of the story, um, they, they, that, I mean, I'm sure that bothers them too, that they can't, it wasn't perfect. The entire thing wasn't perfect, um, right from the start, but that is a, that's basically just my, my view of it, you know what I mean? Um. They, they did very well, so it gets a 9 out of 10 for Iron Man. Iron Man 2 is, uh, is good. I like Iron Man 2. There are, there are very few movies on this list I don't enjoy. Um, in fact, I'm sure by the end of this, uh, I will have no movies on this list I 
don't enjoy. But for right now, I can think of at least a couple that I'm not looking forward to. Anyway, Iron Man 2 uh, brings in uh, Don Cheadle as War Machine, which is who remains in that role uh, for the foreseeable future. And indeed, I think there's an upcoming Disney Plus project with War Machine as the central focus. So that's exciting. Um, And it establishes things like Pepper Potts is in control of Stark Industries. Tony invents the new chest core. You know, it's funny uh, about that that whole, like, palladium problem and how it's rectified. By the end of the third Iron Man movie, he gets the surgery to get the stuff out of his chest and doesn't have the thing in his body anymore. And it kind of begs the question, why didn't he just do that, like, originally? If that was an option, why wouldn't you just do that as the option? Um, but, I mean, we'll see how that goes uh, and exactly what that happens. But it happens so swiftly at the end of Iron Man 3 that you almost don't even notice it um, occurring that he gets the shrapnel taken out of his chest and he no longer has the arc reactor physically within his body. Um, Whiplash as a villain is fairly ineffective, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, he doesn't really do a whole lot, and when it comes down to the final fight between Whiplash, War Machine, and Iron Man, honest to God, that fight lasts less than a minute. Like, when he finally shows up in the suit, he gets taken out pretty fucking quickly. The drones posed a bigger threat than he did, um, and even the drones were taken out pretty succinctly. Justin Hammer, Sam Rockwell, he kills it, um, which is great. What I loved about about this was that, um, I'm not, I'm pretty sure not at the time, but now... Sam Rockwell is uh, romantically involved with the uh, uh, what the Leslie Leslie Ball is that her name? Um, I want to get this right. Uh, the the uh, the actress who played what what is your name? Leslie Bib Bib it's Bib. Um, who played the Vanity Fair reporter from the first and uh, second Iron Man movies? Um, which is kind of fun. I'm sure they met. On this, on this particular um, set, uh, which doesn't surprise me. Apparently, uh, Sam Rockwell was originally supposed to be cast. I want to say he was in consideration to be Iron Man. To be perfectly honest with you, um, but they brought him in to be Justin Hammer, and I absolutely love Sam Rockwell. I think he does a great job in everything he's I've ever seen him in. So it's nice to see him here. Um, I do love how he's like, "You'll be seeing me again real soon." And then we never see Justin Hammer ever again. We might. He seems like a perfect uh, person to have involved in some of those Disney Plus shows. Especially the War Machine show. I think having Justin Hammer be in that would be awesome. Outside of that, that's pretty much it. Um, We get a little bit more about Howard um, and his relationship to Tony. Nick Fury has probably the one of the largest roles outside of like an Avengers movie in this film. Um, I mean, he, he was in Captain Marvel quite a bit. But that was like as like a, a pre-Fury, you know, he wasn't the the Nick Fury of like legend and myth that we come to know throughout these movies as like the fucking guardian angel of the Avengers. Um, but it's it's nice seeing him uh, in such a, a prominent role, especially because when this movie came out, this was like really the first time we ever got to see Nick in such a prominent role uh, because the movies went Iron Man, Incredible Hulk. Iron Man 2, and then Thor and Captain America before Avengers came in. Um, so this was this was a big one for establishing the grander Avengers initiative. Um, and quite a bit of this movie is teasing Thor 
Coulson being sent to New Mexico, the after credit scene, all of that stuff um, is to set up for Thor. And Thor brings in like the cosmic mythos and the grander scope of the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I mean, without space, so much of this just doesn't happen. Um, like there's there's Marvel Street, which is all the the earthbound terrestrial heroes, and then there's Marvel Marvel Cosmic, which is Thor and Guardians of the Galaxy and Thanos and all that fucking dope ass space shit. So yes, Iron Man two gets a solid six out of ten, um, maybe a five out of ten if if really if I want to be really nitpicky about it. It is a perfectly serviceable movie. I like it a lot. Objectively, it is not the greatest. Um, and it certainly does kind of plod along in certain points. And it's only after the movie is done you look back on like 50% of the scenes and realize they, they didn't need to be there. Um, this movie also serves as our introduction to Black Widow. Um, before the Marvel Cinematic Universe went into play, Black Widow was not owned by Marvel. Uh, they had to reacquire the rights to that character before they were able to introduce Scarlett Johansson as Black Widow in these movies. And she has quite a story through when it comes to these movies um but she fucking kicks ass right out the gate pretty much the entire time um if there's one like i mean there's a lot of things i would change about this movie but the other thing that kind of caught me off guard was the sheer amount of relatively sexist dialogue and behavior in this film um this was not that long ago iron man 2 came out in what 2010 2009 something like that um so like barely a decade ago this movie came out and there's quite a bit of sexism in this film like people like people are a little too surprised that black widow's like good at stuff um and it's played for laughs a lot and that kind of makes it worse um but then again i suppose i can't expect every single movie to be progressive um or it's not even progressive it's just the like the way things should be you know what i mean like, I don't think it's progressive to treat all sexes and genders equal to each other. I think that's just the way the world should be. Um, and, and my world, the way it is. Um, but it's just like, yeah, that kind of, you know. I'm pretty sure if I ran this movie through the Bechdel test, it's not going to do great. Let's put it that way. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's still, still a good, decent superhero movie. Sets up a lot. And uh, tells a, a fairly acceptable story in its own right. Um, this is my least favorite of the three Iron Man movies. Honest to God, Iron Man 3 I prefer. Um, and I'll talk about that a little bit more once we actually get into it. Um, but I, I'll spoil it a little bit and say that it's the only Marvel Cinematic Universe movie to also be a Christmas film. Uh, and that probably has something to do with it. Let's move on to the next one. Thor was directed by Kenneth Bragner, who many of you will remember as playing Gilderoy Lockhart in the Harry Potter movies, um, and to go on to direct some pretty incredible stuff, like uh, Murder on the Orient Express and whatever the sequel was called. And uh, this this really encapsulates the, the traditional comic book understanding of Thor being this um, very, uh, like highbrow sort of mm, yes hello <laughs> I'm the god of thunder don't you know it's, it's so great and wonderful to be an Asgardian we are all gods of various 
things and circumstances, why the, over there's the gone of appetite. Boy, he does love to eat. And over there's Captain Recast, who only was in the one movie before something happened. I'm not really sure what happened there. Um, but yes, uh, <laughs> it's fine. I mean, it's it's the first Thor movie. You get you get a bit of the cosmos, um, and that's very you know important. If it wasn't for the fact that by watching these in timeline order, we already saw Captain Marvel, then Thor would have been the introduction to this kind of cosmic understanding. Um, but even Thor is fairly limited. Like the cosmos that Thor talks about, and the cosmos that Guardians of the Galaxy talks about. Even though it's still, like, the same, air quotes, space. Um, it's not the same areas of space. So we get kind of completely different looks into into the zone. The story of Thor is, is a pretty classic tale. You know, guys destined to be king of Asgard. Anthony Hawkins says, You're unworthy! And then he gets banished to Earth where he learns how to be a good person. Uh, and who's a better teacher to teach him how to be a good person than Natalie Portman? Uh, Dar- uh, Cad Dennings. I was going to call her Darcy Lewis. Oh, that's her character name. Cad Dennings and Bill Skarsgård. Um, I, I love Jane Foster, uh, especially in this movie. I feel like the, the supporting cast of Jane, Darcy, and Eric in this film were done very well. I think Jane Foster is, is a great character. Um, I like her relationship with Thor. Um, it all worked, you know, it all works out great for me. We get introduced to Loki in this movie, and Lord knows he's important for the MCU, uh, the Destroyer and all that stuff. And quite honestly, uh, we get more of Agent Coulson in this film than any of the ones preceding it. Um, and he's, he's, you know, pretty prevalent in, in every movie up until this point, except for Captain America. Um, and we don't see him in that movie, but he later tells us that he was somewhat involved. Um, that being said, uh, as far as any of the introductory movies of the, the classic heroes, um, Thor's is probably the second weakest, uh, just beating Incredible Hulk, which isn't even on this fucking list. Um, and that's, I was going to say it's for a reason and that's because it's really bad, but the actual reason is that that movie was produced by Universal Studios, um, and they have not given the rights back. Um, to Disney, nor do I think Disney's really clamoring for them because they changed their canon to the Hulk. Anyway, except for like a few characters, like General Roth was introduced in Incredible Hulk and he maintained, the actor maintained. Uh, the, the biggest thing they did was recast uh, Ruffalo um, instead of Edward Norton. And I believe that's mostly due to Edward Norton being um, difficult to work with. If I had to give Thor a rating, fuck, I mean... It's, it's probably the first example of a Marvel movie where I felt like acting occurred. Um, and not to disparage literally any of the things that came before it, but I don't know. There are just some scenes in here that when I saw them in, in the theater, you just kind of go quiet because you're just like, ooh. Um, and it's mostly uh, Odin being a badass. And then there's that bit where Loki's like, tell me! Um, not to equate that acting is shouting but i don't know the acting in this movie i thought was 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 particularly fine um so i i enjoyed this movie and for all of the things it does to set it up probably gonna give this a whopping six out of ten you know if you're gonna watch all the marvel movies you're you're gonna have a you're just gonna watch it as one of them but 
I don't think there's ever an instance where I'm going to sit down on my couch, look at the shit on Disney Plus and be like, you know what? I'm going to watch Thor. Yeah, that's what I'm going to see. I'm going to spend a couple hours here and watch Thor. Doesn't doesn't happen. It only happens if I'm marathoning all of them. The Avengers, the first crossover movie in the MCU. First major crossover movie of the MCU. Um, I know there are elements of crossovers in some of the preceding films, particularly Iron Man 2, uh, which brings in Nick Fury and all of that stuff, and you get Black Widow in that movie. Um, uh, also, Hawkeye makes his appearance in Thor. I forgot about that. Um, but the Avengers is kind of the bar. You know what I mean? There's there's something about that that first Avengers movie. They had done the legwork properly. They had established all of their heroes in previous movies. They had created this plot of the Tesseract to be driven forward. Um, you know, CGI still holds up. Uh, it feels like a comic book of a movie. Uh, it's it's action almost from beginning to end. That At no point do I feel like any of the, the characters overshadow any of the other characters. It balances this ensemble cast really well. Everybody gets like a day in in the in the sun to shine and be radical. Um, and what this movie captures so well that a lot of other movies fail to get is the Hulk. And this is really as far as the MCU is concerned, because fuck the Incredible Hulk movie. This is this is the introduction of the Hulk. You know, Bruce Banner and him being you know this version of the Hulk and this version of Bruce Banner. This was their intro. And I thought it was incredibly well handled, especially since the Hulk is one of my absolute favorites. Um, mostly because the more you hit him, the stronger he gets. It is it is part of his whole shtick that when he's when he's hit with bullets, when he's punched, whatever it takes, that kinetic energy just goes into the Hulk and adds to his strength rather than beats him down. Um, and there's even a whole series of comic books called World War Hulk. Where Hulk is just this unstoppable monster. And it takes like the entire Marvel roster to bring his ass down. Um, so it just goes to show that like he is a tremendous threat. And this movie takes that fucking seriously to the point where like everybody's scared about it. Except for Tony. Because Tony's cool as a cucumber. Um, but it's... I mean, what can you really say about it? Pretty standard plot. Earth is going to be invaded by aliens. Here, I save the Earth. That's that's essentially it. It's just done really well. You know? It is it is it is the bar that we compare all other Avenger movies to. Um, was the first one. And because it's... I mean, especially where the MCU goes from here. It's like a, a Sunday afternoon world-ending threat. Um, more than what comes later. So... For all those reasons and more, uh, Avengers 1 gets like a 9 out of 10. There's there's a couple of nitpicks I'm sure I can find, and I would be a fool to call this a perfect film. However, it is fucking fantastic, and yet, I mean, I can't really say a, a word against it, so to speak. It's just it's just so much fun. It's It's Avengers. You know, it's Avengers. The the introduction of all the heroes, like when Thor shows up, when Cap's in Germany, there's just a lot of really fun, great moments in this. 
um, the cr- like the transitions where it's like war isn't won by sentiment director, and then it pans to Fury and he's like, no, it's won by soldiers, and then it shows fucking Captain America with his gigantic back just beating the shit out of a punching bag. God, I love it. It's such a great fucking movie. Oh god, nine out of ten. God, I love the Avengers movie. From one of the highest points in the MCU to the lowest point in the MCU, Thor The Dark World. As much as Thor is a nothing movie, Thor The Dark World is even less of a nothing movie. The only thing of importance that happens in this movie is the introduction of the Aether, which is one of the six Infinity Stones. That is literally it. Nobody cares about the Dark Elves. Nobody cares about any of the other things that happen in this movie. The death of Frigga impacts nobody at all. Pretty much everything of importance in this movie is covered better later in fucking in uh, Endgame. <laughs> it's covered better there. Of uh, If you need to skip a fucking movie, don't even sweat Thor of the Dark World. You don't, you don't need it, really. Who cares? It's one of the six Infinity Stones. It doesn't even matter. Because it's explained better in Infinity War and Endgame. What this stone does? It's not even a stone in this movie. It's a weird gross liquid. It had to be shown to me like later on that that's what this was because this movie also doesn't do a great job of establishing that this is an infinity stone and it also doesn't do a good job of telling you what kind of stone this is. It doesn't. It's it's like what like its powers are. You know, like this is the reality one supposedly, but it just seems like another world destructo goo like the fucking purple rock and Guardians of the Galaxy whatever. It's like it just it's so nothing. Um, and as, as much fun as Jane, Eric, and Darcy were in the first Thor movie, they must have gotten a different writer or something, because in this movie, they're all unbearable. Like, I, I can't get behind Darcy in this movie at all. She went from being quirky fun in the first movie, saying things like meow meow and stuff like that, and it was adorable, to being just an insufferable idiot in this movie, and I can't stand it. And Jane flipped script, too. From, from what she was in the first movie to this movie. It's like a completely different character. And I'm not here for it. So it's it's not not my jam. Um, however, wisely, Marvel realized that this fucking schlock wasn't going to cut it. And they completely changed formula for the third Thor movie. And we'll get to that a little later on. But Thor The Dark World is utter garbage. Gets a 3 out of 10. Fucking skip this shit to the end of your days. Dusting ourselves off from Thor The Dark World, we enter into Iron Man 3. As of right now, the only Marvel movie to take place during the holidays. Which is weird. It's technically a Christmas movie. Not something anybody ever thought about Iron Man 3. It is also the only Iron Man movie not directed by Jon Favreau. This one was directed by Shane Black, who most people know uh, from being that kind of nerdy kid in um, uh, The Predator. Before he went on to go and direct some other things. He actually directed uh, a movie that starred Robert Downey Jr. that came out a couple of years before Iron Man and was technically what kind of brought him back into the, the Hollywood limelight. So, in many ways, this was kind of like a reunion between Robert Downey Jr. and Shane Black, who more or less, like, Iron Man fucking rocketed him off, but there was a springboard before the rocket explosion, and the springboard was the Shane Black movie that Robert Downey Jr. made before Iron Man. Um, this movie, I think, does a decent-ish job. Um, it's not perfect, and it, it has some issues. 
Um, but it delves into the uh, post-traumatic issues of the Avengers movie that Tony is dealing with. Um, to like this insomniatic behavior, these anxiety attacks, those sorts of things. Um, which is nice to see in a Marvel movie. Um, it's not really a subject that gets brought up a whole heck of a lot. Um, I think Banner deals with this a little bit more in Age of Ultron. Um, but here we get Tony's perspective of it. And, uh, then there's the thing with the Mandarin and that whole big twist. Um, when I first saw this movie, I hated the twist. Because I'm like, you have Sir Ben Kingsley, one of the best actors of all time, in your Marvel movie, playing one of your Marvel villains, and then he just turns out to be some dipshit named Trevor. I felt like that was a missed opportunity. I appreciate what they were going for with this other guy being the Mandarin. It's a nice twist, whatever, blah, 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 blah. But I think I would have enjoyed this movie a bit more if it was just straight up the Mandarin. However, I understand why it wasn't because the Mandarin actually has like these mystical fucking rings. That's what gives him his powers. Um, and that's what um, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, like the Ten Rings, that's what it refers to is the Ten Rings of the Mandarin. At least it is in the comic books. Um, and so that really begs the question since Ben Kingsley was not the fucking Mandarin. He's just some asshole. And the actual Mandarin is supposedly dead from the events of Iron Man 3. Then what the fuck are the Ten Rings about for Shang-Chi and whatever he's going to go do? So, definitely some some weird stuff going on there. This is, um, probably... So, you know, where does this one fall in terms of the other Iron Man movies? As far as the other MCU movies, this is, like... it. It's barely better than Thor Dark World. I enjoy this movie... It's fun. It's got some fun jokes. I appreciate uh, Robert Downey Jr. Um, or Tony being capable without the suit. There's a lot of that in this movie of him being capable without the suit. And it's all about like him finding himself outside of the armor, which I certainly appreciate. Because um, it's fun. It's it's all about like flipping the script. You know, it's, He's not powerful because he's the suit. The suit is powerful because he's in it. That's kind of the, the idea here. Um, and I, I can certainly appreciate that. It's very similar to Thor, learning how he's a good person without the hammer, and then he's worthy of the hammer. You know, it's that, it's that, it's that story again. Um, and it's, it's done pretty well. You know, it's certainly a more competent movie than Thor: The Dark World. I mean, this we're talking like five out of ten for Iron Man three. Um, it's a toss up, honestly, and it would probably depend on my mood which one I would rather see: this one or Iron Man two. Iron Man one is a fucking classic. Like, put that shit up right there. The echelons of some of the best movies of all time. Like, because of the importance of that movie, you can't disregard it. Um, but I, I enjoy Iron Man 3. I know a lot of people don't. I'm not a big fan of the Mandarin stuff. But beyond that, if I just look at, like, this movie and what it is and all that stuff, I think it's a perfectly competent movie. It gets a solid 5 out of 10 right down the middle. Not particularly offensive. Did some things wrong. Didn't do a lot of things great. But it rides the line. Back to the best trilogy out of all of them so far. Uh, we get Captain America The Winter Soldier, a political spy thriller that deals with Hydra growing within S.H.I.E.L.D. and having been there this whole time like a parasite just growing until it eventually overtook S.H.I.E.L.D. and then it was like it finally was revealed and Captain America has to not only deal with 
all of that shit, but he needs to deal with this guy named the Winter Soldier, which, hey, turns out to be your best friend Bucky with a metal arm who's been injected with Super Soldier Serum, who's come back to kill you, and you need to save your friend and destroy S.H.I.E.L.D. and blah, all this great sh- Oh, it's fucking... Oh, what a movie. Oh, what a movie. Captain America is ruthless in this film. Especially that intro scene where he's taking the ship and he just fucking punts a guy off the edge of the ship like it's nothing. It's it's a great film. I absolutely love this movie. I love the buddy uh, team up with Black Widow in Captain America. I love the introduction of Falcon, um, Sam Wilson, and how amazing a character he turns out to be. The on your left bit. Oh my god, this movie is one of my favorites. It's not my favorite Captain America movie. That goes to Avengers 2.5 Civil War. But fucking phenomenal movie i absolutely adore this film um i love the action i love the knife fight i love the the uh the moral ambiguity of the villains i love the introduction of hydra and that whole thing or not the introduction but the king uh the continuation of the hydra story i should say i don't know it's just there's just something about it and it's all about cat finding his place in the world you know like after being frozen and New York and all that stuff. He didn't really have a lot of time to figure out what he wanted to do. Um, and now he's kind of he's kind of more or less figured it out. And then he's off to go save Bucky with Sam as his buddy. Um, not sidekick. I want to make that crystal clear. In no movie, in no Marvel movie, does it feel like there is a sidekick. It is Iron Man and War Machine, you know? War Machine is not Iron Man's sidekick. He's like his partner, you know? And uh, Falcon is not Captain America's sidekick. He is his partner. Like, they, they work together, not one above the other. You know what I mean? Um, as the sidekick relationship would, would lend me to believe. It wasn't until Falcon and the Wounded Soldier that we finally got somebody who I would consider to be a sidekick. And his name is fucking Battlestar. But let's not worry about him. Um, Captain America gets a fucking 8 out of 10. I'm going to say. Amazing movie. Love this movie. Not a perfect film. So... We'll give it a 8 out of 10 and call it a day. Some movies, uh, a little bit out of order. Well, not this next one. Um, but the, the sequel of this movie certainly uh, has been played earlier in the timeline than it originally was. Uh, however, I just rewatched both of these back-to-back today. And I gotta say, Guardians of the Galaxy and that, that series might have surplanted Captain America for me. Captain America is an iconic character. I absolutely love him. He is my favorite. His movies are a lot of fun. They are not as much fun as the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. And that first one is like the MCU phase one in a single movie because it introduces not one hero, but a team. And so you've got five characters that need to come together and become a synchronized fighting unit throughout the course of this film. So rather than introducing Tony as Iron Man, you've got Chris Pratt, Zoe Saldana, Dave Bautista, Bradley Cooper, and Vin Diesel as Groot, Rocket, uh, Gamora, Drax, and uh, Peter Quill. Star-Lord. So this this is a lot to do in one movie, you know? It, this is why, like, Phase 1 did it over several films. But no, Guardians of the Galaxy, had, they had to get it done in one film. One two-hour film. But right out the fucking gate, you're hit with an emotional gut punch of watching Peter's mom die. 
And then you get the complete tonal shift of him dancing to 70s songs. And, like, you get the tone of the film. It's it's a masterclass of setting up what this movie's gonna be like. And it, it primes you perfectly for this shit. The soundtrack is so integral to these these Guardians movies. It's, it's like... It is the movie. Like, the music and the movie can't... You can't do one without the other. Um, and it's it's so fitting. Uh, and the movie has basic carte blanche now. Um, especially after what happens at the end of Guardians of the Galaxy 2 to introduce, like, any song that came out before 1988, because that was when Peter left Earth, can be used in these movies as a soundtrack. Um, although, now you could argue that any song after 1988 can also be used because of the fact that it's the Zune. So, basically... Especially that model of Zune, you could argue like any song that came out the year that Zune was released in prior could potentially be part of the soundtrack. But uh, before then, they were relegated to one cassette tape, a second of which is revealed at the end of this movie, which widens the soundtrack even further. Indeed, after this movie, you could actually buy the Awesome Mixes Volume 1 and 2 on cassette tape. They did that. I don't know where they are anymore. Pretty sure they're all gone, but you could buy these on cassette tape, and I thought that was rad. So, I fucking love these characters. Gamora is fucking phenomenal, and she is performed beautifully by Zoe, who is one of the highest-grossing actors of all time because they were in, you know, Infinity War and Endgame, Guardians of the Galaxies 1 and 2, um... And I think they show up in other ones. I'm trying to remember. Can't remember. Anyway, yeah, but... Uh, oh, Avatar, obviously. They were in Avatar as well. Like, they're fucking phenomenal. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, this this movie is, is great. If I had to say one thing about this movie that I'm not a super big fan of, even though it does fit the story, it's probably Ronan. Uh, Lee Pace plays Ronan, and he was also Thanderwill in... The Hobbit movies. Thanderwin? Whatever the fuck his name is. Um, and I don't want to say that Lee Pace overacts, but he really does come off as a cheesy, huge villain. Um, that does fit this movie decently well, but it's like, I don't know. It's, it's a fun, campy movie, and let's have a villain that's talking about genocide on a massive planetary scale with an infinity stone. It doesn't quite fit for me tonally. Um, so I'm not a big fan of Ronan the Accuser. Um, it's just like, everything else about this movie, I fucking love. I love the fact that they're a bunch of assholes. I love that they don't get along. I love that there's a prison break. And that they're basically anti-heroes. They're all like some level of criminal, you know? Um, but you, you grow to love them. And they are like... I think I think they're a stronger like family unit um, than the Avengers are certainly like Guards of the Galaxy. I fucking love these guys. Um, I love that like it got Chris Pratt into Marvel shape, um, which is something that I think is really funny. Paul Rudd went through the same thing, you know these these comedic actors coming in getting absolutely shredded to be in a Marvel movie. Um, like everything about this movie, <sighs> Guardians of the Galaxy fucking 9 out of 10 yeah I, I I really I really do enjoy it um and because of how great these characters are I would 
I would rather see this than the first Avengers movie, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, and for me, it's all about the characters and the relationship that they develop throughout the film. Um, it is it is wonderfully done. So I fucking love the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. As shown with Thor The Dark World and Iron Man 3 and 2, making a sequel isn't always easy. I don't know why I'm doing this like a PBS special. When they were sending out to make a sequel, they were about to learn that making a second movie wasn't a walk in the park. Um, but I'll be a son of a bitch if Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 didn't fucking kick ass. Are there things in this movie I'm not a super big fan of? Not that many, to be perfectly honest with you. Even things like the the conflicts in the beginning of the movie between Rocket and Quill, while a little heavy-handed, does pay off in the end. You know, and it's actually a fairly big part of the movie that there is conflict there. Uh, the growth of the team to include uh, Nebula, uh, uh, Yondu, and Mantis. Um, especially Nebula and Mantis, since Yondu unfortunately kicks in in this movie. Um, growing the Guardians is perfectly cool with me. Uh, Kurt Russell as Ego the Living Planet. I mean, dumb comic book stuff? Check. Amazing character actor? Check. Iconic performance? A double check. I mean, it's... Oh. When I found out that fucking Peter's dad was Ego the Living Planet, I went, what? <laughs> you fucking... Kurt Russell's playing Ego the... Oh my god. And then they they fucking did it. They kind of overused the, uh, the music montage slow-mo shit a little too much in this movie for my liking. Just a little bit. I think they did it once in the first movie. And I think it happens like three or four times in this film. Enough that I noticed it and enough that it made me go, eh. But, you know, I'll let that shit go. Um, it's, it's very well done. Um, I love this conflict that Peter has. Um, another thing I really like about this movie is the relationship between Gamora and Quill. It could have been so easy to, like, get those two crazy kids together at the end of Guardians of the Galaxy. But they didn't. And even at the end of this film, it's still, like, barely a thing. They, they, they keep talking about, like, this unspoken thing between them. Uh, and at the end of the movie, Gamora acknowledges it. And that's it. Like, nothing. So I love that they did not, like, just fucking cheapen their relationship by speeding them along that route. You know what I mean? So there's that I, I really enjoyed. Um, that they were they're given time to, like, grow this relationship and actually be, oh, I don't know, people. Because, you know what? It doesn't always go, you know, happily ever after love at first sight shit. It takes work. It takes time for people to, like, you know, get to know each other. What a what an amazing idea! But the movie does that pretty well, um, and I think uh, Ego was a phenomenal villain, um, one of my favorites because it's fucking Kurt Russell. Um, this movie also introduced me to a glorious amount of amazing music. Brandy, you're a fine girl with a good wife. Sounds like he's drunk. <laughs> but my life, my love, my lady. So. And, of course, this is the first Marvel Cinematic Universe movie to make me cry. None of the other movies did I come close. 
They're great action movies. There are sad moments in those movies for sure, but none of the other movies had even a sliver of the emotional weight that this movie does. You know why? Because these characters are fucking incredible. And they're so beautifully well-crafted. It's just gorgeous to watch. So, because of that, because this movie made me cry, because I had a bunch of dumb comic book shit, because their characters are believable and human and have depth, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 gets a perfect 10 out of 10 score. It is the first Marvel movie that I would point at and be like, that's the pinnacle. There's a, there's a lot of amazing movies on this list. And they're all really good for a lot of different reasons. But for me, and what I look for in a movie, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 is, is my top. That's, that's like, every other Marvel movie, I will go, yeah, but did it make me cry like Yondu's death did? That's, that's kind of, and it's not even like Yondu's death, you know, just like conversation, fucking, a completely tragic character is, is Yondu Odonta or whatever the fuck. It is, 10 out of 10. I would, I want to watch it right the fuck now and I finished it five minutes ago. God damn, what an amazing movie. Age of Ultron has a lot to stand up to. This was the second Avengers movie. As far as this timeline order is concerned, it is following my perfect 10 out of 10 movie of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. And it had to be the first Avengers movie. Where do you go from there? And they decided to go with Ultron. This this AI machine that Tony develops, um, at least in the canon of the movie, with Jarvis... The, the Mind Stone comprised in Loki's scepter. Um, and... And there's it. And there's just those things. Um, this movie's alright. <laughs> Easily the worst Avengers movie. I, I don't think I'm gonna surprise anybody by saying this is the lowest of the Avengers movies. Um, it brings forward a couple of new elements... Um, you get backstory on Hawkeye, which I appreciate. Um, you get the introduction of Vision and Scarlet Witch, which, seeing how, what happens to the MCU, was a pretty pivotal move. You get the introduction and immediate, really, immediate removal of Quicksilver. Because, who cares? Um, on that front. Uh, that's... Those are, those are like the big elements. Um... There are a couple of things that they can always bring back. Like how Ultron, right? You don't really see the final body get destroyed. You see a flash of light. Was he really destroyed? Who knows? So, especially after Vision was like, I have respect for all life. Um, and he, he's like, I don't want to destroy Ultron. He might not have. Ultron could still be out there somewhere. In some form. Um, there's, a, there's a bit of a relationship going on with Banner and um Romanoff, right? Black Widow and the Hulk get a little bit of a thing going. Um don't get me wrong, I like that relationship a lot. I think, you know, fucking good on them. Uh but it doesn't really it absolutely does not resolve by the end of this movie. And it's not really ever 
brought up again in a meaningful way. At least not that I can remember. Um, I'm sure going back and rewatching some of these, I'll go like, oh yeah, there's that bit. Um, I guess we'll see. Uh, that's pretty much it. That's pretty. That's pretty much it. The only other thing of mild importance, at least for me in this film, is um, Thor realizing that the Infinity Stones are showing up, and so he buggers off to go track him down. And then we don't see his ass again until Ragnarok. Um, and that's basically the next movie for Thor's story after this one. Uh, Cap nudges the hammer a little bit. He's not worthy yet, but he's he's getting there. Um, and I love that setup for something that gets paid off like fucking hours later, you know. So there's that. Um, that's pretty much, pretty much it. It's a pretty forgettable movie, to be perfectly honest with you. You know, just watched it. I don't, can't really recall a lot of stuff coming out of here. Um, so shrug the old shoulders. Five out of ten. It's fine. Five out of ten. Um, does not, does not blow me away. It is just a movie. The forgotten stepchild of the MCU, Ant-Man. The first Ant-Man movie. <laughs> Directed by Peyton Reed, starring Paul Rudd, Evangeline Lilly, I want to say. I'm just going to Google that real quick. Um... Yes, 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 Evangeline Lilly. Um, just double checking. Michael Douglas? I can't remember. But, yeah, it's, um, it's a fairly low-stakes Marvel movie. Which is nice. It's a good palate cleanser, because we just watched, what, Age of Ultron? Was the movie that, that preempted this? Um, what was weird about Ant-Man was that it was the final movie of Phase 2 and not the first movie of Phase 3. Which I always thought was strange that there was a Phase 2 movie that came out after Age of Ultron. Um, and I believe the reason for that is that this movie more or less takes place either immediately after the events of Age of Ultron or during the Age of Ultron movie. I believe it's like one or the other. I know Falcon was in Age of Ultron like a little bit. So I can't can't quite remember. I think it takes place a little bit after because it has the establishment of the... um. The Avengers compound uh, as part of the the Ant-Man world, but like just a little bit. So it's it's a it's a nice story. Um, I absolutely love uh, Scott Lang and that character. I think Michael Douglas is a good character as well. I think Hope Van Dyne is a great character. Just there's a lot of really solid characters. I love the supporting cast of like the 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 gang of uh, of burglars you got. The guy who's the tech wizard and then the other people whose names I don't think they ever tell us in the movie. Or if they do, I don't remember. But I, just, I love the supporting cast. Plot's fairly chill. Um, that's why it's a nice palate cleanser. Like, it's not very high stakes. Um, just like, guy made a suit. Needs to be stopped. That's more or less what the, the, the idea of this movie is. Um, this movie does do something that I absolutely love in movies. And that's training montages. I absolutely love seeing any movie where a character goes through some level of montage to get good at what they do it's it's appreciated to me um not only does it tell a lot of story very quickly and usually in a comedic way but it makes sense as to how any character can get good at a thing 
Um, like my favorite episode of Avatar: The Last Airbender is Bitter Work, season two, episode ten, because it's all about Aang learning to be an Earthbender. Um, and I love that. You know, people don't get good overnight or instantly. It takes time to learn your abilities and to get good at shit. Practice makes perfect, and I love it when movies actually fucking do that because. It doesn't make sense for Scott to put on the suit and be an expert at being Ant-Man or controlling ants. It makes sense that he needs to work at that and practice and be good at it, you know? Um, so I, I very much appreciate that. On the flip side, it doesn't make much sense that Captain and Bad Guy is amazing at being small when, as far as we're aware, that's the first time he got small because he couldn't figure it out. And when he does figure it out, it's like the day of selling this, you know what I mean? Like he shouldn't have had practice being small he might have had practice kicking ass but he doesn't have practice being small he should have been way worse at that shit so there's there's that side as well i love cassie i think cassie's a phenomenal character um i like the stepdad bobby kavanaugh um he's been in a bunch of movies that i've enjoyed um i enjoy his character more in the second movie though than i do in this one um but you know it, it takes growth and stuff like that to get there um the ant-man movies are just are just fine they're almost <laughs> bite-sized but up, up, but up, up. It's just, it's a very low stakes, just a fun movie, you know? A lot of these Marvel movies, they're like, they take themselves too seriously or whatever, but this movie's just kind of fun, you know? Nothing too serious happens. You can just kind of kick back, turn your brain off, and just enjoy a movie. Um, and this movie deserves an incredible shout out for its depiction of the subatomic universe scale when, when Scott goes into the quantum realm. That whole fucking sequence is amazing and blew my fucking mind when i saw that the first time i was just like whoa this is great what an awesome visualization so good on this movie um also good on this movie for understanding comedy because not every movie does and when you've got small scale action and you go to like the real world and it's just like a plastic train falling over this shit's funny i don't care who you are that's funny stuff and it's 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 funny for like a lot of great reasons they use that joke quite a bit but i will be damned if it isn't funny every time they use it so plus thumbs up for that shit so because of the montage because of the decent characters and because the movie is just funny and fun i give this movie a 7 out of 10 i like ant-man a lot very inoffensive and a lot of fun Captain America 3 Civil War is a complex, complicated piece of cinema. It might be the most complicated film in the entire series simply because of all of the storylines that it juggles, the geopolitical shit, and it's, it is a balancing act that is daunting. For any movie. The the whole Infinity Saga could have been about Civil War. It is not a short story. It is an incredibly complex and very long arc in the Marvel Cinematic Universe involving every character being basically split kind of right up the middle. And um, I could be wrong, but I believe in the original comics... Captain America was the good boy soldier and Tony was the the odd odd duckling out. Um I'm pretty sure let, let, let me double check. Um uh Civil War comic 
sides. Maybe if I do that. Um, do 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 do. Um. I mean. I don't know. I don't know. I'm I'm too lazy to figure it out. But I, I'm pretty sure they flipped the script on that. I could be wrong. I probably am. But for the sake of this movie, like you had Captain America in the in the second film go against. Hydra and S.H.I.E.L.D. You know, this isn't freedom, this is fear. Every time somebody tries to stop a war before it starts, people die. All that stuff. So it makes sense for Cap to not be in the government's back pocket. It doesn't make sense for Tony to be in the government's back pocket. Because Tony spent his fucking movies telling the government to blow blow himself. Like, he, he was so anti-establishment. And what causes Tony to flip script? Putting a face on the on the casualty count of some of their their triumphs, you know. And they he got guilt tripped by a grieving mother to flip script and be like, we need to be held in check. Now, here are the facts, right? In this movie, they showcase four events. They showcase New York, Avengers 1. Sokovia, Age of Ultron, Lagos, the beginning of this fucking movie, and the fourth event was... What was the fourth event? DC, um, which was uh, Winter Soldier. It showcases those four events, right? If you watch that scene carefully, you will see two numbers appear on each of those screens. The casualty count and the numeric dollar value in terms of damage appear on those screens. I did not count the numerical dollars because I don't give a fuck. And quite frankly, that doesn't, that shouldn't influence the creation of the Soviet Union, of course, in my opinion. You know, money's just, who cares? Property damage, I don't give a fuck. The body count. It's not even a body count. It's casualty count. Okay? This, these are civilian casualties. Now, casualty does not necessarily mean that they died. And the reason we can, we know this from the very movie that we're talking about because the bombing of the UN had a casualty count of 70 people yet only 12 people died okay casualty does not mean death hazard a guess and tell me the events of Avengers 1 and 2 Winter Soldier and the beginning of this fucking movie how many people do you think were a casualty of those events take a wild guess think of Sokovia think of that massive flying city that fell back to the earth right think of that think of the army of ultron people think of the aliens invading one of the highest density cities on the planet how many people 300 that's it 300 people according to the stats that they show us it was 300 that's it that's a full movie theater and that is apparently enough to sweat. Don't get me wrong. 300 people. No, I don't want anybody to get hurt in anything. But if you compare that number to what would have happened if the Avengers hadn't stepped in. Like if the nuke fell on New York and killed the like 12 million people that live there. If Sokovia reached like, you know, the height it was going to hit. And that would have wiped out the planet. You know? Lagos, the biological weapon, who the fuck knows how many people that would have killed? Like, you know, that's that's what that's the math you have to do. 
300 people were injured or died as a result. Well, it's not even the Avengers' fault, really. It's just those are the people they couldn't save. Um, as a result of the events that the Avengers stopped. That's that's what we know. 117 countries of the UN ratified the Sokovia Accords. There are 195 countries in the world, only two of which are not in the United Nations. And one of them is North Korea. I forget who the other one is. Um, quite frankly. But, 60%, roundabout, 60% of the world's nations ratified the Sokovian Accords. I would love to see who the other 40% is, quite frankly. Because I'm sitting here being like, why does Greece give a shit? You know what I mean? Where, where, is, where is their stance on this? Oh, thank God. Belize, we needed your opinion on this. I don't, I don't know, like, you know, I kind of get it. But at the same time, it's like, where do you get off? Um, anyway. I personally don't think any of the arguments one way or the other in this movie are particularly strong. And the characters that join one side or the other don't have great reasons for doing so. And a lot of the time, it kind of goes against our perception of those characters. You know what I mean? Um, like Black Widow or Tony. Tony's the biggest one of all. Like, this guy is so anti-establishment. For him to get on board with the establishment doesn't make any sense. And then the entire plot of this movie, more or less, is thrown out in like every, every subsequent film. That's the that's the bit that kind of bugs me about this movie. Every other film had like long-lasting impacts on the status quo. But everything in Civil War is played off as jokes for the rest of the MCU. That it's 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 the unfortunate reality like not, nothing about the Sokovian Accords really sticks and moves forward. They're just punchlines after this. And they're all buddies anyway, so who really gives a shit? You know, it's like it, it all it's a lot of complicated plots and story arcs and there's like five different story threads in this film which is insane and most of it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of the MCU it makes for a really fun movie but it's it, it goes a lot of places and you just kind of have to shrug your shoulders and be like well this doesn't matter later so why should I care about it now um, so the Sokovian Accords are stupid and Captain America is 100% right. I, I mean, you can argue that there, there's good arguments from both sides. Um, but my biggest issue is that the Sokovian Accords was brought together and built on such a paltry number of casualties. 300 people. I mean, for fuck's sake, come on. That's... Honest to God, they've done really well to keep that number as low. The, no military in the world would have a casualty count that low if they went up against any of the problems that the Avengers faced. It's just, it's, it's so stupid. If that number was like 300 million, I'd be all, I'd be all for it, you know? I'd be like, I'd shut the hell up and be like, you know what? Yeah, fair. Fair is fair. They killed 300 million people. Let's fucking, fucking keep them in check. That's the population of America, you know? But it was 300 fucking people. I have more people subscribed to my YouTube account than were killed because of the Avengers. It's it's not that many people. Um, again, I'm not trying to minimize the fact that anybody was hurt in this. That's the other thing. We don't know if any of these people actually died. They were just injured, you know? 
I'm sure a lot of people did, but we don't know how many that is. So, it's also interesting to me that they don't talk about the bit in Age of Ultron where Hulk goes nuts. You know? There are a lot of fight scenes in a lot of these movies. And the only four they talk about, like, they only talk about Sokovia. A lot of shit went south in Age of Ultron. But whatever, fuck it, right? It's a dumb premise. So... Yes, I don't like the Sokovian Accords, and I don't feel like that's really done very well in this movie, and then it's immediately thrown out. Outside of that, you got the backdoor pilot for Black Panther, who is a tremendous character, and I'll be honest if I didn't get a little teary-eyed when I saw Chadwick Boseman on screen, um, because holy shit, nobody saw that coming. Um, and it retroactively made all of his performances just so much more important. Um, so I, I loved seeing him. Uh, fight scenes are good. This movie has quite possibly the greatest single moment in the MCU. And I'm, I'm talking about it beats out all like Cap picking up Mjolnir. It beats out all of that shit. And that is when <sighs> Bucky gets in that helicopter and Cap holds it to the roof with nothing but his brute strength. And you guys get, like, a fucking perfect shot of the gun show. Oh, gets me hot out of the collar. Every time I see that shot, all I want to do is just fucking work out. Because, holy shit. Oh, it's giving me the vapors. Oh, Captain America, you're so hot. Oh, yes. Hold that helicopter to the roof with nothing but your bare hands. Oh, oh, you heathen. Oh, the grip's, gi- grip's giving out. Time to go for the under... Oh, my God. Oh, it's the under grip. He needed that leverage. And the best part about that is that he wins. He beats the helicopter. He starts pulling it back closer to the roof. He's stronger than a fucking helicopter. Captain America's the best. That's the best scene in the whole film. Zemo is one of the most forgettable nothing villains out there. Zemo did not need to be in this movie. There was enough conflict internally with the Avengers that Zemo did not need to be here. So that whole story thread, throw it out. I hate it. I don't like Zemo as a villain. I don't like any of the things he does. Fuck that guy. He doesn't do anything. And he takes credit for shit that wasn't him. Like, he does not deserve credit for dividing the Avengers or splitting them up. He doesn't. Fuck Zemo. Um... And I'm not saying that because I'm like, oh, well, he kind of did it, but I hate him, so fuck him. No, he doesn't deserve the credit for any of that shit. Fuck Zemo. To, right into the ground, right into the ass. I hate Zemo. So that whole thing is dumb. I don't like it. Um, Wilds is dumb in this movie that I didn't enjoy. Um... I feel like the whole Bucky story, it kind of feels like we did that in Winter Soldier. And it doesn't really feel resolved in this film. It just kind of continues. And it's not that I don't like Bucky as a character. Um, I'm just not a big fan of having two fucking movies basically centered around him. And have everything be about him, you know what I mean? There's a lot that this movie could have gone into. And I feel like if it went with just one of these stories, then it would have been fine. But because it tried to do all of these stories simultaneously, it gets a little confusing and it loses itself in the weeds just a little bit. So, is it a good movie? I mean, it's got a lot of iconic scenes. 
You got Spider-Man. You got the airport scene, which is the, the one fucking scene that anybody really thinks about when it comes to this movie. It's a big old fucking fight, and it's rad. <sighs> um... I mean, I love the the inclusion of like all the the side characters of like Ant Man and a Vision kicking ass. I love what happens to like Rhodey. It's nice to see that kind of like character development, um, those sorts of things. Uh, there's a lot of really good acting in this movie. I mean, it is really good. It is truly Avengers 2.5. This this should not have been a Captain America movie. This should have been an Avengers movie because it's about the fucking Avengers. That just happens to have Captain America. And those are two like separate movies. You know what I mean? Like this should have been an Avengers movie. And then Cap going after Bucky should have been Captain America 3. But they smashed them both together in one thing. And overcomplicated their film. So because of that. The, the, the complexity of the movie. Because I don't think it achieves it as well as it could have. If it kind of streamlined shit a little bit. Um, this movie only gets a 6 out of 10 for me. And that extra point above the basic baseline of a 5 of being a competent movie is just Captain America's gun show. That's pretty much it. I love Spider-Man, but the, the, the awesome things that this movie does are directly counteracted by the other things that this movie does. And the only plus one gain modifier this movie gets is Captain America's gun show holding the helicopter. That's, that's it. Um, it's... It, it kind of misses the boat for me on this one just a little bit, if I'm being completely honest. I love Captain America. It's the strongest trilogy so far out of uh, any of the Marvel stuff. I'm holding my breath until Guardians of the Galaxy 3 comes out, except there's going to be a fucking holiday TV special, so it's going to be a four-parter, but that's fine. Um, yeah, 6 out of 10 feels right for this movie. First time I've spoken aloud all day. Um, it's been a very quiet day for me, and I've decided to watch a couple more MCU movies. And uh, that was the first one I started the day with was Black Panther. Ryan Coogler, Chadwick Boseman, Michael J. Uh, J Michael B. Jordan, that's his name, Andy Serkis, uh, Bilbo. Yeah, all the classics, all your, all your, all your favorite Marvel heroes. Such interesting characters like Agent Ross. Uh, uh, yeah, it's a fine movie. It's a fine movie. It's not the best superhero intro movie, and it falls into some of the, uh, the tropes. Um, personally. Like, uh, with the movie ending with, like, the little kid being like, Who are you, man? And it just is a close-up of Chadwick just being like, Oh, you know, I know who... Everybody knows who I am, but I'm not gonna say it. And the movie's just gonna... And there it goes. And it just ends. Um, yeah, it's it's a it's an okay story. I absolutely love the world-building of Wakanda and all of the stuff they're capable of. I thought that was great. Um, it's a fairly small scope of a movie um, in terms of, like, what it it's all about. I was complaining, right, about uh, Civil War being way too complicated. This movie is the exact opposite. It's got, like, one fucking story, and it just sticks to it pretty much the entire time, um, which is good, um, because it, you know, it's doesn't doesn't overextend. Um, it, it rides that line pretty well, and it does what it needed to do. It establishes Black Panther um, in, a, in a pretty... Uh, or establishes the people of Wakanda, I would say, more than it does the character of Black Panther. Because uh, I feel like Black Panther was 
showcased pretty damn well in um, Civil War. You got a really good idea of who he was and what kind of person he was like. Um, and Black Panther, the movie, really establishes where he comes from more than it is about him as a character, in my opinion. Um, it, it's really Wakanda, the movie, because um, you in, are introduced to a bunch of interesting characters. And then, of course, they reveal themselves to the world stage um, pretty much just in time for them to be like the location for uh, Infinity Wars uh, showdowns and to provide a lot of the army for um, fighting Thanos in Endgame. So that's uh, that's more or less what the, 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 the country of Wakanda kind of moved towards um, because we don't see a whole lot of uh, vibranium in, uh, in the other like Avengers gears. You know, there's no like vibranium Iron Man suit uh, because I think the next time we see Tony with the Iron Man suit, it is um, Mike or Nanotech. Uh, I think it's the next suit that we get with uh, with Tony. Um, I think. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Although, um, I think in between um, Doctor Strange and Ragnarok was Spider-Man Homecoming. And Tony's in that one, too. Um, and I would absolutely love to watch the Spider-Man movies again. But get fucked and trying to find any streaming site that has those where I don't have to pay money to see Spider-Man Homecoming or, or Spider-Man Far From Home. It's just... They're... they're hard to find for for a streaming thing um they're easy to find if you want to pay money but i don't want to pay money so all in all black panther is a perfectly serviceable movie it's not my favorite um because it's just kind of meh um i like i was not looking forward to rewatching that movie because i i remember it's 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 very straightforward i remember pretty much everything that's like funny or interesting about the movie so rewatching it has almost no value um, to me at least, like, there's nothing new for me to pick up from that movie, I got it all the first time, it's a wonderful story to tell, you know, I love Killmonger's motivations, all that stuff, it's all fine, um, so it gets a, it gets that solid mid-ground, 5 out of 10, it is a perfectly serviceable film, and that's all I can really say about it. Sherlock Holmes is, uh, oh, sorry, no, um, that's not what it's called, Doctor Strange, that's what it's called. Might as well be Sherlock Holmes. Um, Cumberbatch for Ben Snitch and Rachel McAdams. You know, classic. Well, not really classic. The tale of a asshole doctor who gets his hand shredded because he was texting while driving goes to a magical land called Comertage. That's what it's called. Uh, meets Tilda Swinton who gives him superpowers. It's pretty much the entire story. Um, I love the depiction of magic in this world. That's about it. I don't, I mean, yeah, it's, the side characters aren't particularly great. Um, I love Rachel McAdams. She's fantastic. First movie I ever saw her in was Mean Girls. Um, she's, she's phenomenal. Um, but honest to God, it's 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 fine. Um, I put it on a par with Black Panther personally in terms of movie quality. Um, the special effects in this movie I think are better. Um, I think it's more interesting. I love the creativity of the the confrontation with Dormammu. I thought that was great. Um, and it's a it's a nice kind of uh, 
way for Strange to grow as a person um, since he's so driven by his ego throughout like most of the film for him to win by losing, you know, that sort of thing. Um, that's a nice flip on the script. I think that's good. But honest to God, it's like, you know what Doctor Strange and Black Panther need? They need what I'm about to watch. They need a, 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 like, I feel like Black Panther, the movie, and Doctor Strange, the movie, are fairly close to what the comic books were for these characters. I, I think they, they capture the characters from the comic books pretty well. I don't know what the characters are like from the comic books, but I equate both of these movies to being like the first Thor movie. Thor was like straight up what Thor was like in the comics, right? But Thor doesn't get interesting until his third movie or his like sixth Marvel appearance. When it takes an incredibly creative director to step up to the plate and make a movie that no one was expecting. I think that's what Black Panther 2 needs to be like. And I think that's what Doctor Strange 2 needs to be like. And by all accounts, Doctor Strange 2 is well on its way to being that weird-ass fucking movie that I think Strange needs to be. Because you got Sam Raimi behind the helm, the guy who directed the first three Spider-Man movies. Um, you've got Elizabeth Olsen, Scarlet Witch being there, and it's called In the Madness of the Multiverse. So I think Doctor Strange 2 is going down the right path. Um, and I, 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 I think that's when Marvel really hit its stride. These, these superhero movies are all fairly formulaic. You've got your hero, they overcome some adversity, you introduce the villain, you defeat the villain, you introduce the second villain for the next movie, and the end credit scene, blah, 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 rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. Like, that's how it usually goes. But, uh, like, now, Marvel is in the hands of, like, indie directors, and um, the, the diversity that Marvel has for the people making its stuff is insane. It's, it's, like, wonderful. You've got all sorts of different people making all sorts of different things, seeing these characters through different lenses. And I think that is the, the best shit. And St Doctor Strange and Black Panther and all of these fucking intro origin movies need that shit. So, the next origin movie we get, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, has... It's got a high bar to hit. Is it going to be the formulaic shit that we've gotten for 18 out of 24 movies? Or is it going to be like, you know, Ragnarok? Is it going to be like Thor Ragnarok? Is it going to completely flip the script and be just fucking rad? So, I don't know. Um, we will we'll have to wait and see. As far as Doctor Strange goes, I think, honestly, it falls about in line with with Black Panther. And that's, that's a solid 5 out of 10. Um... If, if it got any bump up, it would be for the special effects. The the um, the, the way the world warps and all of that stuff, it's very cool. Um, if you've never seen it before, like when I saw it in theaters, I thought that shit was rad. Um, and now I'm jaded and old, and I don't think it's as cool anymore. But I have to recognize that it's cool. So I think the final score for Doctor Strange is a 6 out of 10, and it gets that extra bonus point for the neat special effects. Especially the astral projection stuff. I thought that was all great. Um, yeah, six out of ten. Because of all the stuff that preceded this, it's probably pretty clear where I sit on Thor Ragnarok. I think that's an amazing movie. Nine out of ten, easy. It is exactly what Thor needed, which is kind of a soft reboot 
Um, and I say soft reboot because it's the third movie in this trilogy, but it is so vastly different from what came before it that it might as well be the start of a new trilogy. You know what I mean? Thor Ragnarok takes the Thor, like, hello, my name is Thor, I am the God of Thunder, that whole shit. Um, and it, it turns him into a bit of a goofball. Now, some people could probably argue that that makes Thor kind of fall more or less in line with the rest of the uh, Avengers, you know, Iron Man's uh, a quippy goofball, and um, even Captain America had some quips, you know, and you can't say that was a recent changes. He was quipping from the start, you know. He was he was a sassy being back in the day. So Thor was was like the only one really that wasn't sassy, and now he's sassy, and he's all the better for it. Um, it it's it is a refreshing, complete like no other movie in the MCU really is like Thor Ragnarok. It is it is a wholly unique experience. Shush, phone. I don't give a shit. I'm talking about Thor Ragnarok. Um, and the plot of the movie is really good, too. So you've got Thor, who was looking for the Infinity Stones and didn't find anything. And then he's had these dreams about Ragnarok. Um, it is uh, a movie where, like, his his dreams are never really explained in greater detail. Um, and they don't need to be. You know, it's not like in the prequels where I'm furious they never tell us the words of the prophecy, even though they talk about the prophecy all the fucking time. Thor's had some dreams about Ragnarok. That's that's all you need. That's that's all there is to it. So I'm fine with that, that lack of detail. Um, you meet uh, Sar- Sargeras. Saris, Sar- it's not Sargeras because that's the World of Warcraft guy. Um, but you can't ignore the similarities. I bet Sargeras is inspired by this guy. Um, cause he stabs the world with a sword. They're probably, yeah, there's probably a connection there. Um, one thing I, I do want to point out is I absolutely adore it when voice actors, um, especially like really big voice actors actually make it onto the big screen. It doesn't happen often. Um, people like Jim Cummings or Tara Strong or Troy Baker, you know, those, those people tend not to appear in feature length films. Um, one of the the more common exceptions would be uh, somebody like D. Bradley Baker, who can do animal noises better than anyone I've ever seen. Um, but in this case, the big red guy with the sword is voiced by Clancy Brown, who uh, most people would probably know for being Mr. Krabs on SpongeBob. So I always uh, I love it when a voice actor I'm, I'm a big fan of makes it onto the big screen. It feels like, yeah, we made it, guys. We're legitimate. You know, that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, so... You get that, and then they go off to um, Sakaar, where you meet Jeff Goldblum being Jeff Goldblum. That dude really just does run on his own frequency, doesn't he? He is, he is just as, he's as unique a person as this movie is to other movies. He is, he is a fascinating guy, and I absolutely love him as the Grandmaster. Um, and this movie also gets points for doing the Hulk really well. Um, this movie is uh, important in the Hulk's cinematic appearances because for the first time in this movie onward the Hulk is no longer voiced by Lou Ferrigno um, as he was in all the preceding Marvel movies instead Mark Ruffalo is was wholly in control of the Hulk from this moment onward um he was the you can compare Hulks um this Hulk versus like Avengers Hulk um and the face is a little different this Hulk resembles Ruffalo a bit more and Ruffalo provides the voice for this Hulk 
um, and all Hulk appearances moving forward, which is kind of cool. Um, I, I like that, uh, that uh, Ruffalo is in, in whole control of him. And then Banner also gets a little sassy in this movie because, you know, why not? Let's just everybody be sassy. When you have somebody like Taika Waititi directing your movie, who is incredibly funny and knows comedy pretty damn well, everybody in this movie is going to be some level of sassy. Um, and that's another thing about this movie. It is it is funny, and the jokes still land. Like, Doctor Strange and Black Panther, those funny moments are funny the first time, and then never again. But there's just a fun, dry wit to this movie that does uh, continue in multiple viewings. And is it might not be as funny as the first time, but they're still funny, you know? Like, Black Panther getting rocked to the ground because he kicked the suit was funny the first time. But then you know what's about to happen, and it loses all of its humor. I think with Thor Ragnarok, it hits you with so many small jokes um, that you don't remember them all, and then they're still as funny um, later on. Like, the one that got me this time was, a Whoever you are, stand down. And she's like, Whoever I am, weren't you listening? Like, I thought that was great. That's a good bit. So, yeah, I, I absolutely adore this movie. I love the soundtrack. I love the visual style. I love that permanent character changes occur to Thor he gets a haircut and he loses an eye like and the hammer's destroyed like any movie that takes like the stones to fucking shake up the formula is is a-okay in my book whether it's Iron Man getting a new suit or him getting the the shrapnel removed from his chest so he doesn't have the electromagnet in there anymore all those sorts of things I love I love movies that that execute changes um, to their characters like that because it shows growth and progression and it's not the same shit that we've been experiencing this entire time but it's different and it's fun and it's new and it's fresh so I appreciate that even even though most of those changes are eliminated in the next couple of movies it's still nice to have here you know you, you need that that in-between gap if you weren't you know like when you saw this um, and then you had to wait like either six months or a year until Infinity Wars to come out, because that was next, after Ragnarok. Um, it was, uh, you know, you had time with Thor being a one-eyed man and stuff like that, or, um, hell, the the gap after Infinity War. I mean, we'll get to that here in, in a little bit, but but yeah, I absolutely adore Thor Ragnarok. I love the Hulk in it. I love Fenthris, the big fucking wolf. Um, the only thing that we've seen so far capable of actually piercing Hulk's skin I mean, that's a big moment. Dude's bulletproof. And this wolf bit into his leg. Like, I don't... I can't even wrap my head around how strong that wolf was in order to pull that off. Um, although, the the argument could be made that it was because the wolf was kind of magical. Much like Superman, um, I believe the Hulk is fairly weak to magic. I don't think the Hulk has a good defense against that. Against physical attacks, Superman and the Hulk can't be touched. But magic, that's a whole other thing. So if the wolf was magical, well then that might that might have had something to do with it. And it was a resuscitated wolf uh, brought back to life with the Eternal Flame, so dollars to donuts probably. Um, Hela's a great villain. Uh, I absolutely love Kate Blanchett. She was both funny and intimidating. You know, it's it's a it's a wonderful balance there. Um, I love Heimdall in this movie. I think Heimdall is fucking rad. Um, yeah, it's just, just a great fucking movie. 9 out of 10. There's nothing in particular that keeps it from being a 10 out of 10 that I can think of. Um, but when I ask myself the question, is this a perfect movie? My gut says no. 
So yeah, it 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 doesn't it doesn't quite get to the echelons of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two, um, which I do think is the total package. Uh, this one is as as close to it as you can get without getting there, if that makes sense. How do you even talk about a movie like Infinity War? That's that's the problem I'm currently facing. Is how do you even break it down? How do you even look at it objectively as a movie? It's it's not impossible because I'm about to do it, but it is a high bar to break. As a movie, one could argue it fails because it requires the witnessing of every single movie before it to fully appreciate you know it's the 20 sec 21st movie in the series 20 i don't know i can't remember because you know spider-man incredible hulk kind of throws the whole thing off um but you know it's it's pretty deep in there it's the 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 second to last major movie in in the whole thing. So if you don't see the stuff beforehand, then you're up shit's creek. But since you've made it to almost two hours into this podcast, I'm assuming you either A have seen all of the movies or B have listened to the podcast up until this point. So we're gonna we're gonna discount that. I'm going to assume that almost nobody went to see Infinity War who didn't see the movies that came before it. Because that's that seems pretty, pretty, not impossible. I'm sure somebody did, and they were very confused. So I imagine that person didn't didn't like it. But for everybody else who knows exactly who these fucking people are and what the hell is going on, this movie, this movie, all, all I remembered about this movie was like the sad shit, right? They lose in the end. And that's amazing. Do you know how many books or how many movies... Or how many video games I've played, read, and watched where I wished the main characters lost. It takes real guts. It takes real stones. It takes real, like, storytelling passion to have a movie, especially a movie on this level, where the the fallout of the events of this film are so universal because it is so popular that took real guts originally this and endgame were designed to be a single movie could you imagine how terrible that movie would be this what they did with infinity war was they gave us like a year and a week to sit in our misery to sit in our camp of we lost and thanos won for a year and then we got Endgame. It was such a gut punch. And because of that, this movie is like fucking 10 out of 10. Because of the gut, because of what, how it goes. You know, I could look at things like them wasting time trying to get the stone out of Vision's head when he could have been on the field fighting the entire time as moments of like bad storytelling, but it's not. It's exactly what they would have done. You know what I mean? Like, they went for that option because they didn't want to trade lives. And they didn't want to lose vision. Is that dumb? Yes. Yes, that is dumb. The needs of the many do not outweigh the needs of the few or the one. 
Star Trek taught us that. They should have killed Vision. <laughs> um, or a million other things. But they went with their gut. And even though we know afterwards that it was all for naught, they didn't know that. You know what I mean? So, it might have seemed like the, the wrong move at the time. Or having Banner fight on the field in the Hulk Buster suit rather than have him be up in the lab. Even though that was probably where he should have been anyway. Um, as like another line of defense because I feel like he would have been worth more there. But... They they made the they made the choices they made, and I don't think they're wrong from like a storytelling perspective. I think everything that happens in this movie is right in line with who these characters are and the decisions they would have made. Peter's decision to stay on the spaceship absolutely in line. Strange's decision to give up the time stone instead of letting Tony die absolutely in line. Everything Thanos does absolutely in line. Nobody goes against their pre-established character at all in this film. It is right in line. Um, I would say the only thing that, while it is funny, um, I don't. I mean, uh, Star Lord's insecurities uh, when Thor shows up um, is probably the only one. I mean, he is like just confidence in, embodied in a single person. I don't see why he would be intimidated by Thor. Um, don't get me wrong, Thor's a, Thor's a pretty swell guy, but that's probably the only thing that I would, I would tweak. It makes for some comedic moments, so I understand why, um, I'm just hoping that Guardians of the Galaxy 3 doesn't do that, like, the entire time, uh, cause that's gonna get old really quick. Uh, like, it got old for me, uh, in these films. Um, I was, I was already over that, so that's probably the only thing, and we are talking the nitpickiest of nitpicks. It is, it is so small a thing. Um, I mean, the plot of this movie. It, it holds no punches. And it rockets right out the gate with the death of Heimdall, Thor, uh, Loki. And they say half of Asgard. But how the fuck did anybody survive that? He destroyed the ship. That should have been all of Asgard. So the fact that anybody survived is a fucking goddamn miracle. Um, like Thor flooding through space. I guess that's their argument. That Asgard's can just survive in the vacuum of space for an extended period of time? That doesn't make a lot of sense, but whatever. Um, that bit kind of le leapt out at me. Um, as like, a, how did they get away with this? I don't understand. Um, also, until, you know, the current state of Marvel, um, that was the legitimate death of Loki. And Gamora. Gamora fucking kicked it. Like, that was it, you know? We, like, those deaths. Those were, those were perma-deaths. Until time travel and time travel uh, brought both of those characters back to life. Um, and you could argue that since we're getting a Black Widow movie, that she also kind of got another shot at it. Even though that movie takes place after the events of Civil War, yet somehow still ties into Phase 4. That's the bit that always confuses me. How, do, how does it tie into Phase 4 if it takes place during Phase 3? I don't know. We'll find out. Um, but yeah, I mean... As of right now, Heimdall is the only one that would, like, the only significant character that is functionally dead as a result of this movie. Um, pretty much everybody else either was brought back or lives on in other shit. Um, I would love if Thor 4 brought back Heimdall. Heimdall is the fucking dopest. And it should, right? Heimdall just, it should have brought him, but I don't know. We'll find out. Um, I would, I would readily believe it if Heimdall came back, but that's neither here nor there. And that's how the movie starts. 
And it, it skips over uh, Thanos getting the, the Power Stone from the Nova Corps. So John C. Riley and Glenn Close are all dead. Because um, they destroyed Xandar. Uh, thinking that they could stop fucking... I would love to see that scene. Because you know it was probably another full-scale battle against the Nova Corps and um, Thanos' army to bring him down. But whatever. He gets the Power Stones. And then Hulk gets sent back to Earth to warn... Strange, uh, Wong, and Tony about the incoming dudes, and then we get the the, the fractured storylines basically from from there on out. Tony goes off to Titan with Strange and Spider Man and most of the Guardians of the Galaxy to fight Thanos. They almost succeed, but because you know Quill gets distracted by grief, they lose inevitably. Um, and that's kind of how it had to happen in order for the story to be told. All, all in line. You can be frustrated with Quill all you fucking want, but that is exactly what his character would have done. So I'm a-okay with it. Also, that entire fight sequence on Titan is just fucking radical. Action-wise, this movie can't be, can almost can't be beat. It is. You got like Lord of the Rings epic battle scales. You've got really fun, creative uses of different powers and interactions between like Thanos and all these fucking guys, and uh, it's just mwah, it's beautiful. Back on Earth, we've got the discussions of you know, what to do with Vision's Mind Stone, and they go to Wakanda, and they do all of that stuff. And then you've got the Guardians of the Galaxy and Thor, right? Thor goes off to get the uh, Axe Stormbreaker built with Peter Dinklage, um, and he does all of this stuff. It's just, there's a lot going on here, um, but it all goes to the same place, and it all ties together. Might not conclude in this film, but it does in the next one. And you could argue that and I started the segment with this, right? Any movie that requires you to witness the ones that either come before it or after it in order to tell its entire story might not succeed as a movie. Indeed, this movie, as a standalone, it needs the story that comes after it and it needs the movies that come before it in order for you to appreciate this. You don't need to watch anything else to do that with Black Panther or Doctor Strange. Those are standalone films. You can see them in there as, as a single entity. You can't do that with this one. Um, which is fair, you know? You couldn't watch Re Return of the Jedi and fully appreciate it without watching all the other stuff. That's the whole point of a series. Um, it's not meant to be a standalone film. So we're ignoring that part. And the biggest and best part of the entire film is the greatest Marvel villain of all time, and that's Thanos. Thanos is the embodiment of of one of my all-time favorite things in storytelling, and if you've listened to this podcast, you've probably heard me say it once or twice, and I'm going to say it again. Moral ambiguity. Anytime you can sympathize with the villain's point of view, you've made a good villain. You know? There are villains that are designed simply to be hated, like Umbridge. There are villains who exist that have some form of twisted moral compass, and they are doing a thing, and they're pursuing a path that while... You don't. You might not agree with it. You can certainly appreciate where he's coming from, and that's what we get with Thanos. Thanos is a tragic character, like almost textbook tragedy. He is incredibly complex, beautifully performed by Josh Brolin. It is. It is a testament. And having all of these movies building up to this, to this confrontation, is is amazing. And to have Thanos fucking romper stomp all over the universe he takes them all out it's not even a problem 
at only like one time does he get cut, right? And that's when Tony's like wailing on him. He's like, all that for a drop of blood. It's just, it's fucking beautiful. It is, it's incredible. And he wins. Objectively, hands up, like up and down. Thanos succeeds in his mission in this movie. It may have cost him everything he ever cared about, but he does it. And that's why this movie gets 10 out of 10. Because it it was exactly what this movie needed to be. If you're going to tell this story, this was the only way to tell it. You, 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 they fucking went for it hard, and they pulled it off. It is, it is an, an incredible film. Um, and it honestly, it reminds me a little bit of the first Avengers movie, right? Um, and when I say that, I mostly mean the introductions of the characters, like when the Guardians show up. It is perfectly in tone with what the Guardians are all about. Like, the song, and they're all just bopping along, and just doing the do. Absolutely, 100% how that was supposed to go down. And, like, the interactions between the heroes when they first meet, you know, Guardians meet Tony and Spider-Man and Doctor Strange and all that stuff. It's, it's, it's awesome. It's funny. It's fantastic. This movie's pretty funny, too. Like, I, all I remember was the sad stuff, so all of the happy shit was, was like a breath of fresh air to me. Like, the whole I am Groot, I am Steve Rogers stuff. That's, that's good shit. That is good shit. So yeah, Infinity War. <sighs> I mean, if you look at it just as the Avengers movies, right? Fucking leaps and bounds better than Age of Ultron. This this movie blows Age of Ultron out of the water. Um, and actually, having seen it, I think I do prefer it to the original Avengers movie. The first Avengers movie is so small scale in comparison to this, and it's incredibly well told, and it's a tight little story, and it's fine. This movie is fucking so massive, and the scale of this is so huge, and it pulls it off. That is incredible. So many movies shoot for the stars and fucking crash and burn because they overextended and they tried to do too many things too hard. I'm looking at you, Captain America Civil War. Tried to do too much, too fast, too much. This movie did a lot. It did a ton. It did so much, yet it's still pulled it off and you get these awesome moments like Thor showing up by summoning the Bifrost by himself and shit like that it's just fucking it's awesome it's amazing it's 10 out of 10 absolutely 10 out of 10 movie so god damn oh man it's the longest podcast I have ever done that's okay we got two more on the list two more the palate cleanser the 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 unsung hero of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Ant-Man and the Wasp, the movie that bridges the gaps between Infinity War and Endgame. This movie could not have come at a better time because after the gut punch that is Infinity War, we needed something so small scale and so quaint and cute that we could just be like, ah. And that's what you get with Ant-Man and the Wasp. Well, until the after credit scene, which is the hardest gut punch of all because after seeing a two-hour movie of super small scale violence and super small scale problems to have Hope Van Dyne Michelle Pfeiffer and Michael Douglas all get snapped trapping Scott in the quantum realm for who knows how long it was the single greatest moment in a movie theater until Endgame happened and Cap picks up Mjolnir that like when I went to see Ant-Man and the Wasp we're all sitting there chatting having a good time in that theater and then that after a credit scene hits, I've never heard a louder silence. It was like, oh my God. 
we all felt it and it was just like booze right in your gut and you're just like fuck it was amazing um and that set off a cap a fucking proverbial cloud car a cavalcade of moments in the marvel cinematic universe of them dealing with the snap or as the people on the planet call it the blip um just and we've seen it in in media all over the place uh you saw it in wandavision you see it here it's it's and you saw it in uh spider-man far from home all over the place just people like leaving and coming back and just the 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 the, there's comedy in it there's tragedy in it it's it's crazy um it's 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 a wonderful storytelling tool um and i'm sure it's something that we will reference and see quite often um especially in phase four i would imagine we're going to hear and see a lot of the the blip and that's going to be something that people talk about for a while because it was a universal event you know it 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 shook up the whole thing and unlike uh like the the arrowverse on the cw when they had their big like crossover shakeup um and destroyed their entire multiverse eliminating pretty much any creative freedom they will ever have now in the future because that was a smart idea uh marvel is doing it uh doing it right and doing it a lot better and the multiverse is intact just wildly shaken up anyway this movie i keep i keep calling this a small scale problem and it's because when you go from the universal grandeur of infinity war down to ant-man and the wasp which basically threatens like a single city block and like 12 people it's it's really fucking nice to deal with something that's so like small scale oh shut up phone i'm do i am doing important things um the closest movie i could compare this to of like small scale i mean i mentioned it previously um what else was small scale i mean thor the first thor is pretty small scale i like these quaint like it's a it's it's almost like a bottle episode of a movie and a bottle episode is an old school um term to refer to episodes of television that were usually filmed on like a shoestring budget um that mainly focus on character development or storytelling uh in exchange for fancy set pieces and it's called a bottle episode because almost the entire episode takes place in one location um because it's cheaper to just film it in a single set so uh you could argue many sitcom episodes or bottle episodes because if they only take place like in the apartment or in the bar you know it's like it simplifies production tremendously it simplifies production so this movie is essentially a bottle movie because it takes place almost entirely within the greater san francisco area you know not a whole lot of stuff to do beyond that uh we get more quantum realm shit you know that's all fighting games um and if if anything this movie just kind of Resolidifies uh scott and hope's relationship and that's basically it i mean it brings the mom back and she's got some sort of quantum power going on there um yet we haven't really had an opportunity to to witness that uh because the next time we see any of those three people that got blipped is like at the tail end of Endgame when hope gets snapped back into reality oh there goes gravity um it's you know so we we don't really know the extent of uh of um what the fuck is her name i can't remember the character's name michelle pfeiffer's powers um we are getting an ant-man 3 which is going to be great and i'm very excited about that um ant-man is like (sighs) i i I very much love the ant-man movies because of how fun and whimsical and 
relatively small scale they are, uh, it really truly is a palate cleanser. And sometimes you don't want a giant universal, oh shit, here he come sort of movie. You just want something that you can just like kick back and relax and have a fun comic booky adventure. And Ant-Man the Wasp does that in spades. Still punches you in the gut with the after credit shit. Um, even the one where the ant's playing the drum because you hear like the, you can hear cars crashing and just the fucking like dead air signal on the TV. And it's, it's horrifying. Like something of, of that, cataclysmic nature where half of humanity gets annihilated and the uh, and the remaining half has to persist for five years before they all come roaring back like it, it it changes the world it shook up the entire thing and it's amazing and it's wonderful and i can't wait to dive into the movie that it's pretty much its entire focus is dealing with that shit um but ant-man and the wasp gets a solid oh gosh as a movie I'm thinking I'm thinking seven. It's 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 perfectly serviceable. Um, but because of what it represents and what it represented when it first came out, like this was this movie was a was a was desperately needed. Um, and it remains so important to that to that effect. And that is why it is so flabbergasting to me that the fucking official list on Disney Plus doesn't have that movie in between fucking Infinity War and Endgame. According to the the timeline order on Disney Plus, you're supposed to watch this movie before Infinity War, which is I mean, you can, you can do that, but that gut punch at in fucking Ant-Man and the Wasp hurts way more if you saw Infinity War before it. And if you don't have this movie in between to cleanse the fucking palate, you're in for five and a half hours of really heavy shit. So you gotta flip them. I don't. I don't care what the official order is. You have to flip them because it is it is torturous. Otherwise, absolutely torturous. Anyway, Ant Man the Wasp gets a seven out of ten. Let's wrap this shit up. Super special fun bonus round of the three movies that are not on Disney Plus uh, and probably won't be for quite some time, if ever, uh, because of the fact that they were all made by different studios. So, Incredible Hulk 2008, Edward Norton, Liv Tyler, which I'd completely forgotten about. Um, the movie itself doesn't. It's not good. I mean, it is it is on a par with Thor Dark World as one of the worst Marvel movies. Um, one, it does basically nothing to tie into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, which is... Which makes sense because it was made by Universal Studios. Uh, it does establish the Abomination, um, which is basically... If you haven't seen the movie and you're not missing out on anything, is, is the Hulk, but like can talk um and his spine's all fucked up uh and the only reason i mentioned that is because it's been confirmed that that character played by that actor is going to appear in she hulk um which is an upcoming disney plus show so unfortunately for everybody in the world the incredible hulk does still kind of matter um but it is in and of itself not a great movie um, it, it plays a little too hard into like the, oh, look, we're a comic book movie, ha 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 shit. Um, with the, like the purple pants and stuff like that. And 
I love Liv Tyler. I think she's phenomenal. And she does a fairly decent job in this movie. It's just unfortunate that the movie itself is just not very good or interesting, really. Um, it's hard to make a movie about a character that can't talk. Um, or when he does, he just says shit like Hulk smash. That's a, that's a tough, that's a tough thing to do. Um, and this movie didn't do it very well. If you want to see a good Hulk movie, I would recommend the Avengers or Thor Ragnarok. I think those are both excellent Hulk movies. And I think the Hulk is best when he is second fiddle. Um, and that is why there has yet to be, and probably will not be a, especially now with the way Hulk is in the current status of the MCU, uh, a standalone Hulk movie. Um, the, the, the beauty of the Hulk character is the dichotomy between Bruce and the Hulk. So the, the unification of both of those things, uh, that was, that was done in Endgame, um, and we'll get to that in a little bit, um, kind of finishes his story. Uh, so Incredible Hulk gets a whopping three out of 10. Can't recommend it. Just skip it. Spider-Man, uh, Homecoming. 2017, which establishes Michael Keaton as the Vulture. Um, I absolutely love this and Spider-Man Far From Home. I love Peter Parker. I love his story. I love the uh, the idea of uh, of a kid in high school balancing all of the shit that comes with being a kid in high school as well as being a superhero. Um, and we're about to see this story play out roughly the same again. Um, a lot of people absolutely love the character of Miss Marvel because she is a high school student balancing being a superhero. It's the exact, it's the exact same. They, it's she and Peter are, are basically the same type of character. It's an excellent character. Don't get me wrong. I love those stories The like the secret identity and the struggles and trying to hide it from people while also trying to be a teenager and all this shit. Like, I love that crap. I absolutely eat that shit up with a knife and spoon. It is, it is all, I'm, I'm super here for it. And I feel like that movie is really good. Uh, it tells the whole, with great power comes great responsibility. Shit. Without really saying those words. Um, and for Spider-Man's character, it makes sense. You know, um, the whole, like, if you're not, you're, um, if you're nothing without the suit, you don't deserve to have it. Like, Tony learned those lessons in Iron Man 3, right? Um, how he needed to be a competent person without the suit. And Spider-Man, it was turn, it's time for Spider-Man to learn those lessons as Tony's protege. Um, so I, I'm a really big fan of that movie. Uh, that has, unlike The Incredible Hulk, that has a lot of great um, callbacks to the comic books, like him picking up the rubble. Um, I absolutely love the direction they went with... Um, Mary Jane Watson, I think that was great. Uh, Zendaya is a, a phenomenal actress and, um, sorry, actor. Um, it is, <laughs> I don't know if most people know this and it frustrates me when I see it nowadays. The, the term actress was done away with. Everybody's just an actor. It, it, it's, it's just like, that's just the universal term for everybody who does theatrical work. Everyone's an actor. And that, that it was it was made it was made non-binary um, uh, a while ago. So there's not actors and actresses, which is binary. Everybody's just an actor. It covers everybody. It is it is it is a, a, a universal term. So don't say my favorite actress. It's it is just actors now. Um, so the Oscars are sexist, but hey, that's the least of their problems. Um, anyway, 
Uh, yes, she she performs phenomenally in that movie. Uh, and I love the fact that uh, they're setting up like Sinister Six shit with with these guys. Um, and we mostly get that in um, the 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 second movie, uh, um, Far From Home. I was about to say No Way Home, but that's the third one. Um, and there there are, there's extended shit like right. Sony's doing its Spider-Man stuff uh, with Venom. Uh, apparently, the second Venom movie comes out this year. That like nobody knows about. Um, Let there be carnage, where Woody Harrison plays um the guy that uh, bonds with the symbiote carnage, which is going to be fascinating. Um, and there is also a Morbius, Morpheus, Morbius. I think it's Morbius movie with uh Jared Leto, uh, the vampire villain. That's also in the works. Um, so they're sinister sixing the shit out of this. Um, but. Before I get too bogged down in the weeds, uh, Spider-Man: Homecoming is probably my favorite Spider-Man movie. Um, don't I like the Sam Raimi campy shit as much as anybody? Amazing Spider-Man can blow a goat. It's for me. It's it's Tom Holland Spider-Man. I feel like that is that is my ideal Peter Parker. Um, I love the way Tom Holland portrays Peter. Uh, I love Aunt May. She's fucking smoking hot. So yeah, Spider-Man: uh, Homecoming gets a gets an eight out of ten. It's a it's a great fucking movie. And in my opinion, the best Spider-Man movie. Um, Spider-Man Far From Home does the classic sequel thing. Hey, let's go to Europe with our second movie. God, that was such a trope for a long time. Um, why is the only example I can come up with Deuce, Bigel- Deuce Bigelow? Because the second movie was called Deuce Bigelow European Gigolo. I don't know what it is about. Uh, Cars 2 did it too. Um you, you either go to Europe or you travel the globe in your sequel. And he goes on vacation to Europe and meets Mephisto and deals with Nick Fury um, and all of that all that jazz. Uh, I absolutely love Jake Gyllenhaal as Mephisto. Um, sorry, not Mephisto. Mysterio. <laughs> Mephisto. People are going to get so mad about it. Mysterio. With the fishbowl helmet and all fucking classic villain. And it was all like smoke and mirrors. It, it works great for me. Um... I love Spider-Man suits. I love the again. We get it. the the fucking the teen drama, the angst. I fucking love it. I mean, it's it's so fucking transparent. You know, like when he and MJ have like issues, and he says he's gonna do something, and then he doesn't because of Spider-Man things, and she's all mad at him. I love that shit. It's classic Spider-Man crap. Um, and of course, she finds out that he's Spider-Man at the end of the movie. But hey, spoilers! Fucking everybody finds out he's Spider-Man at the end of the movie. Um, and you brought J.K. Simmons back to be J. Jonah Jameson, which is incredible. Um, and it, I mean, I'm so excited for Spider-Man 3 uh, and and where it goes from here. Um, and of course, Far From Home was the first Marvel movie after Endgame. And it's technically the end of Phase 3. And it did a pretty good job of poking fun at the blip. Um, a, a lot of things lately, especially WandaVision and Falcon and the Winter Soldier have taken a the, the serious tact on uh, the blip and the snap and what happened to everybody and the fallout of that and trying to reintegrate you know half of humanity back into society um, it's a it's a complicated task it'll take years you know it's 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 insane just to thinking about the logistical nightmare that would be finding a home for 50% of all humanity just suddenly being brought back into into the scope um and Far From Home does that really well. You know, the death of Tony 
It, it does take most of the movie, and it's a huge part of the movie. And it really had to be because of the relationship Spider-Man had with Tony. Um, and it, it and it's a it's a great movie. I absolutely love that movie too. It is not as good as the first one, I will say. Um, there there are moments that are significantly lower on on like the good movie thing. So this one only gets a seven out of ten, but it's still a, a pretty good movie. Now it is time for the Mac Daddy of the moment. Avengers Endgame. Also the end of this podcast. This movie... This podcast rivals the length of many of the Marvel movies. Um, And I'm about to spend a ludicrous amount of time waxing poetic about Avengers Endgame. The fourth Avengers movie. The the end of the Infinity Saga, which you can buy on Amazon right now for either $240 or $861. Depending on if you want Blu-ray or not. Um... And, of course, I'm not doing that. So, here we are. Um, goes without saying, I feel, that this is the third movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe that warrants the 10 out of 10. As as amazing as Infinity War, and as emotionally impactful as Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Arguably more so. That being said, on rewatching Endgame, I did not cry this time. Um, and that's mostly because, like, a month ago, I rewatched the final hour of Endgame. So, the emotional hits... It hit me then. I cried then. I didn't cry now because it's still too fresh in my head. Um, so, so yeah. Um, and it really is that last hour. Almost, almost at the hour mark exactly is when Thanos bombs the Avengers compound. But before we get too bogged down in specifics, let's talk about the general plot. This movie takes place... Um, not too long after the end of Infinity War, a couple weeks, maybe, um, uh, passed between end of Infinity War and the start of this movie. And, uh, they reassemble, uh, Captain Marvel saves Nebula and Tony from the, the depths of space, um, and proves that she is enormously capable and incredibly powerful and basically had to be written out of this movie because it would have trivialized everything. Um, and to be fair, when Captain Marvel does show up at the end, she very much kicks all of the ass. Um, and that is why she's not around very much. Um, she's a little too capable. She's Superman, basically. Um, and it's hard to write a good, compelling story when Superman's around. However, the vast majority of this movie are problems that cannot be solved with brute strength. So... She could have been around, um, but her rationale for not being around for most of it is fine. Um, that's okay. But they, they decide to go after Thanos at the garden to get the stones back. Thanos uses the stones to destroy the stones because, you know, reasons. Uh, and then Thor kills him. And then we get the the first Infinity. I just, I... I remember what it was like to see this movie in theaters... And it all comes rushing back to you when you see it the first time. This movie clings to your ribs. It sticks with you. And that, that sitting in the theater, seeing the time card that says five years later, that first time. And you can tell in, re, in re-watching it, the fucking guys making this movie knew exactly how that was going to hit. Because it's so slow and it like just fades in gently. And the original gut punch of the movie with Clint and his whole family getting wiped out. Oh my god. Anyway, it jumps five years later, the Avengers have failed. 
Um, and humanity is just trying to figure out what the fuck. Could you imagine? Could I know I, I've joked about it for a while in this, in this podcast, but close your eyes and imagine. 50%. At random. Your family, your friends, everybody you've ever met, everybody you know, half of them, gone. And you you don't know what happened. You don't know what happened. There's no visibility on this. None. The, the, the Avengers know. The heroes know. The people that were there know. The vast majority of people? Fuck you. Your, your shit's just gone. You have no idea what happened. You have no idea where they are. And it happened to everybody you can see. And it's like, what the... And you have to live with that. As far as you know, forever. Just the the unknown, the uncertainty, the anger, the frustration, the sadness. For, for a long time. And then five fucking years pass. According to the happiness curve, people had recovered. But how could you possibly recover? This this is a this is a catastrophe on a hitherto undreamt of scale, which is a line straight from one of the movies, I can't remember which one now. It would be it would be devastating, absolutely devastating. Um and that's I think that's one of the reasons why this movie is so impactful. You get glimpses of this. The kid on the bike who doesn't talk back to Ant-Man when he comes back. Um Cassie on on her face, on her, how old is Cassie now? Fifteen, sixteen, something like that. Um, somewhere in that neighborhood. But you see it on her face, and it's just like, it's 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 blows blows the mind, is what it does. Um, and then Scott, you know, comes back out of the quantum realm. It's only been five hours. Um, where was that sensation for uh, Michelle Pfeiffer? Hmm. Seemed like she was down there for a while. But whatever. Um, he he theorizes that time travel is possible. And they go to talk to Tony at his cabin. And in case you don't spend a lot of time on Reddit like I do. Apparently you can Airbnb that fucking cabin. I don't know where in the world it is. But somebody found it. So you can you can Airbnb that cabin. I imagine it's probably fairly expensive. Um, and probably fairly popular. Because it's the fucking Stark cabin. It's got the dock and everything. You can stay there. You can you can be in the house where where Tony and Potts and Morgan were hanging out. That's fun. But uh, they go talk to Tony and eventually figure out how to time travel and then pull off the time heist, which is fun. I I, I love that. Um, it's kind of like a greatest hits sort of of uh, of moments. I mean, they do flash back to Thor: The Dark World, so blech. um, but you you get a lot of sweet moments. Thor with his mom, Tony with his dad, the death of Black Widow. I don't say that's a sweet moment, but that's, that's an impactful moment. Um, and then, of course, it establishes Thanos as the villain once again. Um, and it also brings back Gamora. Um, and that's one of two things in this movie that came up in my head. So Gamora obviously doesn't have the relationship with the Guardians that the, the other Gamora did. But Gamora's technically back. However, at the very end of the movie, when it's the Asgardians of the Galaxy with Thor and the rest of the Guardians of the Galaxy, Gamora is not on the ship. She's not in those shots. She's not there. So I imagine Guardians of the Galaxy 3 will probably have some level of search of Spock shit going on. 
where they're going to go get Gamora and try to bring her back into the fold. That's my guess. Um, that that's that's where I'm coming from. I imagine it won't be that difficult since Nebula is part of the Guards of the Galaxy, because um, she was in the ship at the very end of the movie. So we'll just have to wait and see uh, what happens there. If it's going to be some sort of like memory restoration, or if they're just going to, you know, get her back into the family like all over again. I'm not sure what they're going to do. Um, but Gamora is not a member of of that team. The only nitpick, the only question I have is. Where the fuck did... I might have fast-forwarded past this, to be perfectly honest. So it's probably in the movie. Um, but where did fucking Rhodey get that dope-ass War Machine suit? It's probably in there. I probably skipped it. But I don't I don't know where he got that suit from. It looks dope as hell, but I just... It wasn't, it wasn't in the movie in the segments I watched. So it's probably in like a 10-second clip like in there in the middle somewhere or whatever. But that that jumped out at me. Um, where was I? So yeah, they pull off the time heist. Thanos comes through the portal. Um, there's a lot of things like they've really spent a lot of time on like Nebula blending in so she can sneak in and uh, let Thanos through. But all of that, like that whole like sneaky shit. I mean, she brings Thanos through, but then she dies like fucking two minutes later, and then that's it, and it's just wrapped up. So even things that like seem like really big problems are not problems for very long. They're they're wrapped up rather quickly, um, except of course for the final confrontation. There are so many incredible moments in that last hour of movie. Cap picking up Mjolnir, the single greatest fight move in the whole movie is when Cap fucking bounces the shield off of Thanos' face. The shield comes rocketing back. He smashes it with Mjolnir and he bashes him in the face again. And it's so quick and it's so fast and it's like, ting, ting, ting. That shit. Fucking love that shit. I lost my mind in the theater when I saw that the first time. Um, that's a great moment. You get, um, like, the the glory shot of, of all the awesome um, women of the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I don't know. A lot of people gave them shit for that. Just shut up. It was a cool shot. Um, I love that shot to pieces. I gotta be honest, though. What the fuck was Mantis gonna do? That's that's the bit that always kind of comes back to my head. She's part of the shot, and she absolutely should be. It's a wonderful shot, but what was she gonna do? What did she do in that confrontation? I wanted to see shots of Mantis, like, what? Just having aliens pass out, or she's just punching them with her Mantis hands? I don't understand what, what she was doing in that confrontation, but she was there, so that was awesome. Um, uh, you got the, you got Spider-Man, uh, and Tony Huggin. I loved that scene. Uh, Chris Pratt getting hit in the balls. <laughs> Classic shit. Um, and then of course, uh, Tony gets the, or no, actually before that, Captain Marvel going up to Thanos and Thanos needing to pull the Power Stone off the gauntlet in order to take out Captain Marvel was fucking dope. It's basically the only thing that could do that. Um, cause obviously Thanos was not strong enough to do it on his own. Um, it was... There's there's so many incredible moments in that in that whole fight. I uh, I would spend an hour basically telling you the entire fight, shot for shot, in order to get through them all. Um, but it's it is phenomenal. Um, and once again, it is it is a masterclass of balancing. You feel like everybody gets some time in the sun during that fight. Like everybody has something to do, and there's there's nobody there that like doesn't really get some some shit to do. And it's just it's awesome. It's really fucking cool. 
And then Tony gets the stones and wipes out Thanos' army and dies. And that's the that's the end of, of Tony, except he's in Black Widow, but that's a flashback movie, so that doesn't count. Um, but it's just like, that's how his story ended. And it was incredibly sad, and then we get a funeral scene, right? And then we get uh, a, a montage shot of, like, Spider-Man reuniting with Ned, uh, Barton reuniting with his family, uh, and then Cap goes back in time to return the stones. Now... I spent a little bit of time talking about the time travel because I remember being very up, up, you know, like up fist raised for, for the time travel stuff. All right. So Hulk's argument of when you travel back in time, that becomes your new future and your new future can't change what was your present because your present is now your past. So when you return to where you started from, that's still part of your future. That is the personal time traveling experience from the point of view of the individual, right? And then you get the the argument with uh, Tilda Swinton, um, where once the time stone is removed from that reality, it creates branching realities, right? Um, and yeah, that's that is one of the things. If for some, if somehow, if science figured out. I mean, there's there's a million different theories, right, of how to travel forward in time. Traveling forward in time is not difficult, um, at least theoretically. It, it happens fairly often. Now, we're talking like milliseconds, nanoseconds on the dollar. It doesn't, it's not enough to really make a difference. Um, you know, this, this idea of if you were able to build a hyperloop that circumnavigated the globe... And that Hyperloop went, like, as close to the speed of light as possible. You could shave off, like, a couple of minutes for every hour or something that you spent on the fucking thing. Um, so tra- time traveling forward isn't the thing. It's time traveling backwards. And I'm not even talking about, like, the fucking position of the Earth in the solar system when you actually shoot backwards in time. Um, I'm just talking about the logistics of time traveling backwards. Um, and I think somebody did figure it out. Um... Or at least they figured out, like, an engine to move forward. It doesn't matter. Um, but the 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 idea of if you do travel back in time following Thor's or Hulk's logic and Tilda Swinton's logic, right? Say you got a time machine and you do go backwards in time and then forward in time. Because you traveled backwards in time to, you know, previously within your own or before that, right? You now exist in a time that you didn't before... And because of that, you have created a branching reality. So that's the bit that if, if I was given the option of time traveling, I wouldn't take it. Because you wouldn't return to the exact reality you left from. You would return to a different branched reality. Or you'd have a percentage to return to a different branched reality. Um, you, you would be creating new... Time tra- you would create a paradox and that would branch off and make new realities. Um, and so while everything could be very similar, there would be subtle differences. And you would be the only person to be aware of those differences. And there would always be a voice in the back of your head being like, even if you had like the same wife or the same family or the same parents or whatever, you would know that they are not the ones that you started life with. And I don't think I could live with that. So time travel is not something that I'm ever wanting to do. Um, and time traveling forward doesn't make sense to me because it's like, 
I'll get there eventually anyway. So time traveling backwards is the only one that makes sense. You know, that whole argument. It's like, if you could go back and restart high school with what you know now, would you do it? Fuck no. What I went through with high school has made me who I am now. And I would not trade what I have now to make high school better. Plus, I don't care if I do make it better. I lived through that shit once. I don't need to do that again. So time travel doesn't interest me. Um, but, uh, Cap goes back to return the stones. So let's think about this. He returns the soul stone to Vormir. I don't know how the fuck you do that. He put the goo back inside Natalie Portman's ass. I want to see the Captain America movie of him returning the stones. That's what I want to see. That I would love to see that movie. I want to see Cap talking to Tilda Swinton. I want to see Cap returning the hammer to Asgard. I want to see Cap getting to Asgard. How did he do that? How? Because like everybody else needed a spaceship, right? They traveled back in time and then flew on their fucking spaceship to get to those planets. How did Cap do it? That's the movie I want to see. Is Cap pulling all that shit off? And then of course... He has to reassemble the fucking Tesseract. Good luck there, bud. And he has to reassemble the Mind Stone. How did he do it? That's what I want. I want to know that fucking movie. It 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 boggles the mind, but in a fun way, you know. As you're just sitting there being like, "How did you do this, Cap?" Time Stone's probably the easiest one. You just hand that back to Tiltwin. So, and then of course, he gets his ending, and he went back in time. And he did all the things. And then he went back, presumably, to the beginning, right? Pro- well, maybe not the beginning. Um, let's see. Let's see if we can figure this out. It probably would have been the 70s. Because he needed to return it to that time. That would be my guess. Because um, if it was, if he went back to, like, the 40s, right? When he went under, he probably would have been a lot older. He was pretty old at the end of this movie, but I'm guessing once he reached the 70s, he just hung around. Um, although, I gotta be honest, they don't look like that. I don't know. I don't know what time Cap goes back to. A long time ago, we'll say. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he went back to the beginning, to be quite honest with you. Um, and he got to live his life with with Peggy, and he got to get that dance and that's the absolute perfect way to end this movie. And I don't say this for many movies, but you gotta sit through the credits for this one. Just the the glory shots of all of the actors in this movie, the signatures, like <sighs> that's why it gets a ten out of ten. It was the perfect culmination of over a decade's worth of storytelling. Over 20 movies made by different directors, starring different people, telling different stories that all culminated into a single incredible film. It met all of my expectations and exceeded them. Which, with the amount of hype built up for Endgame, the fact that it pulled it off is absolutely incredible. And for a time there, it was the highest grossing movie of all time. Um, not a lot of people know this, but Avatar was re-released in China um, not that long ago. A couple of months, like March of 2021. And it did incredibly well there. So Avatar has retaken the the mantle of being the highest grossing movie of all time. 
Um, in case anybody was wondering, that is a that is a statement of fact. So, yeah, it's it it was it was incredible, absolutely incredible. And that's it. That is all the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies to this point. Uh, we get three this year, which is kind of astounding to me. Um, and I am very excited to see where it goes from here. But, I mean, how do you top this, really? There, there needs to be a new established villain, but... I mean, Tony and Cap and all of those fucking classic characters who we just won't hear from anymore. It's just, it's, it's, it's very sad to, to get to the end of this. Um, but you can always start it again. And that's, that's what's, what's really incredible about it. Having watched these movies in timeline order, don't think I can recommend it. I think chronologically by date of release is the best way to see these movies. Um, that was the way they were made. That's the way they're teased. That's the way it's set up. That's the proper way to watch these movies. You watch them in order of how they were made. For sure. Um, I saw no benefit. I, you were just more confused <laughs> watching Captain Marvel second. You are just more confused. So, yeah. But you gotta end on Endgame. There's no other way to do it. <sighs> Although I suppose you would... If, if I had access to all the movies, I actually would have ended with Spider-Man Far From Home, but... Oh, well. God, what movie. 10 out of 10. Absolutely perfect. Thank you all very much for listening to this two-hour and 42-minute podcast. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. If you made it this far, you're a goddamn superstar. Um, and if you didn't, well then, hey. Uh, you'll never hear this. So, there's that. Um, I'm gonna fucking go brush my teeth and go to bed. It's been a very long couple of weeks watching all these movies. Um, but I hope you, I hope you enjoyed it. Um, I, I do love doing these, these movie review specials. Um, I don't know what I'll tackle next. But we'll figure it out as a unit. We'll figure it out as a pod. As a, as a, as a family. So, I hope you all have a great rest of whatever. And I will see you all in the next one. Have a good one, everyone.